Hello and welcome to episode 305 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Alex Jones. No Jack Harper this week, but we'll do our best to plod on without him. As listeners, you'll have to make do without a segment on how Mason Mount is excelling in the things that we can't see and how impressed he is with Graham Potter's skin fade turtleneck combination. We've got plenty <laughs> more important things to get into. Arsenal beating their first big team this season. Draymond Green icing Jordan Poole in Warriors practice and Conor Ben's failed drugs test alongside all the controversy that followed. First, though, it's the news of the week. New York man smuggled pythons in his pants. <laughs> Sounds like a Tinder bio. <laughs> is that a python or are you just happy to see me it was actually quite a lot darker when you actually read this story so that's why they say don't... don't read past the headlines well yeah, i saw it outside of my uh, headline gathering okay 1.5 million dollar floating home prototype sinks into the water at unveiling ah. if you can get past that one fatal flaw though i'm sure it's a great idea yeah. <laughs> Do, do you start with a $1.5 million one? I feel like you maybe test that <laughs> on, on like a 100,000 one. Couple find ancient gold coins under floorboards worth £754,000. If you'll excuse me, I've got some <laughs> I know what my luck would be. You'd dig it up and there'd be some bloke that lived here about 300 years ago and they'd just be these horrible remains. <laughs> Actually, his house was near 300 years ago, so... I swear they were there when I found they were, they were already there. I swear. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure that's uh, you find coins in the garden, dig them up. That's a sign of like a film like The Mummy, isn't it? Isn't that how these things all kick <laughs> yeah. off? Leave it be. Yeah. Well, yeah. I saw or, someone or found a mask recently, <laughs> and people, for whatever you do, do not put it on. But then Jim Carrey secures a prime Cameron Diaz with that mask. Extraordinary. Yeah. I, you take the risk. You take the risk. If it's up a mask, there. If it's a mask, you take the risk. If it's another writer of jewellery, like a gypsy necklace and blue, like something like that, you still you stay way away. I remember doing the trivia for Movie Madness when we did the mask, and someone saying that Cameron Diaz in the mask was the best that any actress has ever looked. And then what I an incredible before, claim! But when you think about it, no, she's at least she's at least she's in the conversation. Oh. Go back and watch the mask. There's a scene where she enters for the first time, I'm telling you, in the in conversation. A in a red dress. Exactly. I don't want to exactly. Luke, Luke uh, I am I am I am fully behind you on this. I know exactly the scene that you mean. That red her in that red dress. Yeah. TK, it's in the conversation. All right. If you want it look, if you want it to be, but this is off the back of the, the Armas in blonde. Yeah, yeah. Just Google, just just Google Cameron Diaz the mask, and well, I mean we don't want to go too far into it. We don't want to get a reputation on our hands. Let's just take the pod in this direction. <laughs> Have you watched Blonde yet, Alex? I haven't yet. No. So you're not a feminist? Not at all. Why me? You're supposed to say yes. That's where the pod ended. <laughs> can, I, can I retract? I didn't really listen to the question. I'd like to retract. I, I think we'll yes. we'll move on on that note. Final headline. <laughs> I don't know if you've both seen this. Um, Bruce Willis has denied selling the rights to his face, but I don't know if you've seen the conversations around this. No. No. So there was a rumour, and it's believed this has gone on behind the scenes anyway, that he's been paid several million pounds 
for the rights to his face. And so they can deep fake him into films moving forward. And you can have Bruce Willis in films long past the point where he has the ability to act. Cause I know he has this condition, mm. which the name escapes me. Um, but even when he's older, this is the whole thing. And they're going to say, this is something that actors are going to do more and more. And the way De Niro has gone, I wouldn't be surprised if he's at least been approached, but yeah, they think that they can use this and then you can have technology moving forward. And the stars of today can be, uh, featuring with the stars of yesteryear all through technology and they won't have to lift a finger that's what actors need uh, an ego move where they can live forever that's what an actor really needs well when you saw things like uh, mark hamill in the season one end of the mandalorian like i know that character has already existed but you think how much footage there is out there of de niro for example mm. and they think that these scientists slash movie guys can piece it all together and uh you won't have to have him as an old man with a young face kicking the <laughs> fuck out someone so in there, the Irishman. Once again, though, but look, something that you've spoken about often on the News of the Week segments, can these doctors not be doing something else? Can these scientists yeah, yeah. be saving people from like disease and shit? But to be fair, a lot of the time, if you offered like, do you want to cure chicken pox? Or do you want to get Robert De Niro in films in 2030. And it's like, mm. so maybe the one is more entertaining than the other. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. True. There we go. Um, I, do, I do have, I do actually have my own little bit of news. I'm a bit worried after where we've just gone, but get us with it. <laughs> so by 2050, there's potentially going to be no Gary's left in Great Britain. The name, there's been no child named in the name with the name Gary since 1992, so Gary Neville may so, be carrying the uh, carrying the uh, the last of the Gary's. Uh, when you say no child, does that just mean that someone in 2040, for example, isn't going to name anyone Gary, or there's going to be no living Gary's? Or did you not read this far? Uh, I didn't read that far. We don't <laughs> read past the headlines. No, all, 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 I, all I'm saying is that we could be there could be no Gary's left. By yeah, we, uh, when I was at uni, we had a, a mate called Gary who was born in 92. And we said, so technically you were one of the last people to be called Gary. I feel like this is one of those things that where if you look in the comments under one of these articles, you're definitely going to have people saying, hang on, my 10-year-old kid's called Gary. I feel yeah, like someone's going to be yeah. blowing this up. So again, never look past it. Never look past the headline. Nope. Well, let's get into the football, TK. <laughs> I am sorry to do this to you. Um, I think it will probably be less painful for you or the listeners than last week. Um, I do, uh, dare I say, have a far more sensible outlook on the game this week. Uh, Alex does bring the worst out of me, so (laughs) you can blame him there as much as me. But if we look early doors before we get into any of what's happened and we go to the selection, both of our teams, I would say there was maybe a slight surprise in both of ours that leaks lineups page just put a picture out of Tommy Asu about half an hour before the lineup was going to come out. And my, I, I didn't dream that it was going to be for Kieran Tierney, to be honest, not that he can't play the role and we'll speak about his performance a bit mm. later, but the worry was, well, surely it's not for Ben White. And I'd been asking for him to be swapped for Gabrielle, but then it was like, is this the game to, to change your bat line? It turns out it was a very good decision. Yeah, absolutely. And even if we didn't know anything of the performance, I understand that 
the reasoning for doing so was he is able to play with both feet. And Wenger spoke about it years and years ago. And he spoke about the rise of um, Asian footballers and the level of player that was coming through. Mm. And he said that in Japan in particular, you, you aren't taught to have a strong foot. And so right from when kids start playing football, they are taught that you have both feet, so why, why are you not going to use them? And it's crazy that yeah. this doesn't apply here or elsewhere in Europe. But they say that's why you have so many of these young Asian footballers coming through that are so comfortable playing all the way across the pitch. And the fact that he can do that, putting him them left back where he can play on his right foot for when Salah cuts inside, because Salah, as he's gotten older, and I would say for the most of his time at Liverpool, maybe you can correct me, he's not really played as a touchline winger, has he? He gets the ball and he tries to drive and you'd almost, if you had a heat map, like a diagonal. Yeah, the annoying thing with him is when he's on it, he can go out the outside as well though and he can sort of drag the ball past it and he does use his right foot, but he just, for whatever reason, well, no, clear reason, he's left-footed. But the, <laughs> you know, the, he becomes more predictable with that, whereas sometimes he's shown that when he's in that rich vein of form, he can go past people down the outside as well as cutting in. But when he's uh, sort of second-guessing himself, you've got no chance it's cutting every time. And Tommy Asu, that's, um, you know, he's as good as one-to-one defenders as in the league, so. Oh, uh, yeah, I think he's our best. And when you then add the fact that he's six foot four playing fullback and the most frequent pass that you have is that cross-field ball. And Van Dijk plays it quite frequently, mm-hmm. that diagonal, that big diagonal across to Salah. Yeah. And we were able to cut so many of them out before it even got anywhere near him. Uh, I think about 20 seconds into the game, there was one that was attempted and Tomiyasu nodded it straight away. And I don't know how it translated on TV, but the crowd was as up for it as they were for the North London derby, I think because we were so unsure of what we were going to see. Tomiyasu heads the first one clear and the place just went mental <laughs> just for a knocked header away. And then I text you before the game, Liverpool were playing this almost like 4-2-4 formation mm. that looks like a 4-2-3-1 when you see it on like flash scores. But you played it on Wednesday, didn't you? Or Tuesday against Rangers. And I saw a couple of tweets at the time like, I dare Klopp to play two in midfield against <laughs> yeah. us. I dare him to do this with the four up top. I don't know how shocked you were that he did do that. And in particular, that he put Firmino on the bench. Yeah, I was I was shocked to see him do it um, because if it works against Rangers, does not mean it works against this Arsenal team. Um, we did look better in, in midweek though, and I thought we looked better at spells in this game as well. So maybe it's something he will stick with. It's probably going to beat most teams. I thought we did look more of a threat at least than we have done. Uh Whilst, you know, we'll get to our defensive issues, I'm sure. But yeah, that's, yeah. you know, it's not like changing formation has changed that. We, we've been vulnerable uh, both ways. Yeah, to go into the game, I thought this was a huge mistake from Klopp, I won't lie. Um, I text my stepbrother, who's obviously an Arsenal fan, saying it's never great when you can already anticipate what subs are going to need to be made going <laughs> in. That's not a good sign. Um, so the fact that it wasn't a total disaster... It's probably uh, it probably surpassed my expectations. I thought formation will have to change quite quickly. And obviously, when you get that goal as early as you did, I kind of thought I was probably going to be proven right. I didn't want to be, but I thought I was probably going to be. Well, I text you pre-game and it didn't quite play out that way. And I said, I'd be disappointed if we don't dog walk this midfield. Hmm. I couldn't see how you could 
play so not that you couldn't play so offensively, but there just seemed to be no real base to it. And I thought it was Klopp maybe signaling that he does not trust your defense at all. And it was, well, we're going to go what was maybe unfairly labeled as early Klopp in just, we'll just score one more than you. Mm. Because when I was telling my uncle and I said, well, Fabinho's on the bench. It was like, ooh. And then it was like, but they do have Jota, Nunes, Salah. Diaz. And Diaz. So <laughs> you were like, ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that's quite good, isn't it? Were you? We spoke last week and said we thought Darwin was going to start and you said you kind of thought he had to for his confidence. Mm. Were you shocked that it was Firmino that had to give way? Probably not, only in that he has kind of shown that Firmino he'll put in and out as and when and form's kind of irrelevant. He he will move him in and out of the team. Uh, he obviously backs that he's a personality that he can do that with. Um, and then yeah. you, you just think, just as a fit, he's probably the one that makes the most sense. If you look at Jota's record against you as well, it's pretty good. And he's yeah, obviously yeah. just got a goal in midweek. So uh, whilst it was probably overly offensive and I was probably looking at it thinking, apart from anything, if we go behind it, you'd probably want one of these guys coming on to be able to impact change. How much is Firmino going to change? Now, he obviously gets a goal, so it's not a bad shout on his part. Yeah. But typically you were kind of like, well, we've gone with everything here. There's not much on the bench that's going to come on and impact a change. Yeah. Well, in terms of the style of play, we pressed as high as I've seen us mm. press. Um, White was pressing Simicast, which shows you just how high. Martinelli had Trent pegged in. And that left space down the right-hand side, uh, sorry, that left space down the right-hand side, um, for Saka between the centre-back and the left-back, Erdegaard basically sat on Thiago and we just let the two creators basically said, I'm not going to kick you if you don't kick me and let's just see who can ball out the most here. Jacaron Henderson. And that opening five minutes from us was just astounding. Saliba wins the ball at the back, I think it was, feeds it into Saka, plays it inside to Erdegaard. And the weight of his pass yesterday as it has been for the much of the season into Martinelli was so nice. And it's a really nice finish over Alisson, who I spoke to you about party, I think it was. And just the size of Alisson, just seeing him in person, you really can see how it must be horrible running in on him. There's an angle for the penalty later, which we'll get into. And you see just how much he fills the net. So when he's diving at your feet, fair play to... Uh, get it over the keeper and gets it off, gets us off to the perfect start. 58 seconds. Yeah, I I actually thought, you know, I'm a fan of Odegaard, as you know, but I actually thought that was a, a pretty simple pass for him. I thought some of his other passes in the game were actually better than that. Um, I thought he was getting, yeah, quite a lot of fuss. I thought it's a good pass, I'm not saying it's not, but uh, I've, I've seen him do a lot better. Um, but it's a nice finish yeah. from right now, you're right. Alisson... One thing you will say about him, his one-to-ones are probably as good as there is. And yeah. he's, he didn't really hesitate, did he, Martinelli? The way you no. started the game was... I mean, we might come back to look at this game as a bit of a, a change of the guard anyway. But that was very reminiscent of how we used to start games. And it feels like a long time since we started one like it, where that opening 10, 15, 20 minutes is going to be hell for whoever's there. The fans are on top of you. Um and if you can survive it, then we've got a game. And if you can't, we might be three or four ahead already. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you didn't carry on with that, I actually thought was potentially letting us off the hook. Yeah. 
Well, Gary Neville, I don't, uh, I mean, I wouldn't watch it if we hadn't won to be fair, <laughs> I doubt you have. He does his little podcast with uh, Martin Tyler afterwards and he had a bar that he was definitely very pleased with. And he says Liverpool used to come out with their heavy metal football and recently they've come out like a bass guitar. It's not bad, to No, he's pleased mm. with himself when he says it. But the speed at which we came out, and I don't think you can necessarily sustain that for 90 minutes flat, but we do it with Wenger sometimes. And we did it uh, against Liverpool, actually. There was a game where we went 4-1, I think. Just everything we touched turned to gold. Ertzel scores a free kick. Alexis scores a banger from range. Giroud scores one that is just a freakish goal. And Bellerin cuts inside and bends one round. And sometimes if Wenger was scared is maybe the wrong word, but it was kind of like, I'm not sure how to tactically get the better of you here. So we'll just come out and <laughs> yeah. give it our all for 20 minutes and we'll be ahead mm. or it's going to be a rough 70 minutes. And we had the win against Chelsea 3-0 like that, United 3-0 like that. And this, we don't necessarily do that, but so many teams try and grow into a game, don't they? And this season, I think we've been better than anyone in just flying out the blocks. And it's it's the same type of goal for our second, and I had to have this broken down, so we'll cover everything. Mm. Um, but when Liverpool are in control, half-time whistles moments away, and you have a free kick midway inside our half, you end up conceding, you refuse a tactically foul, and it's just such a quick break. We're going to speak about Trent, so I don't want to batter him here. But I thought the style of play was going to be very interesting because every team we've played so far has wanted us to have the ball. Yeah, yeah. And I thought this was a game when both teams were going to want to dominate the midfield, despite almost both of us playing no midfielders. Not no midfielders, but no midfield. Where You can see screenshots of the game and the whole middle of the pitch is empty. It's a weird game in that regard. And... Yeah, and I thought it was a little tick in the box for us as much as it wasn't how I wanted us to play, that we were able to play our game without having the ball. Because I thought even while being controlled, we didn't necessarily look in danger as much as we could have done. It wasn't like you were just battering the door down despite having, I think, about 60% of the ball in the first half. Yeah, yeah, because... And part of that is that we didn't create a lot on half of it. You didn't let us either. So it's a, it's a obviously perfect marriage of the two. Uh, it, was, but it was a, it was a weird one with both the goals where we obviously tended to counter attack like that on teams. And so we kind of had it d- done to us, but also the, like in both the instances, they're kind of, they're unforgivable goals to concede just because obviously you shouldn't from there. But the, the first one, obviously so early on in the game, Thiago goes rushing out, basically vacated the middle. Hendo's then tracking back. Yeah. He's caught behind. Trent obviously does Trent things. Um, and then the second one's even worse in, in that instance. And you were right. There was an opportunity for a tactical foul that we didn't take. So it was a weirdly sort of... Uh, for a team as, that's had success and guys that experienced us, it was a weirdly sort of naive performance from us. And it's, it's an odd situation where I, I think this is the best a team has ever been whilst being pretty brain dead at times. Maybe not the most uh, yeah. sort of street, street smart and savvy. That's the most a team can achieve whilst not having those qualities, I think. Because te- typically you'd say, if you don't have those things, you're going to be a really good, talented team, but you're going to fall short. And we've got over the line, obviously, in plenty of tournaments. But yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. When other things start falling apart, 
uh, I think that sort of streak in the team gets exposed a lot more. I thought between minute five and minute 40 was as bad as we've played this season in terms of just not doing what we set out to do because I, I truly don't believe Arteta had the game plan of us sitting behind the ball no, no. for large portions of that half. Both teams, we clearly were looking to exploit the space over Trent. You clearly fancied Luis Diaz against Ben White. And I, I do think, and I don't have a section on Ben White this week, you'll be pleased. I thought it was a weekly uh, section. No, I, I, do, I do wonder at what point teams are going to stop looking at him at right back and going, he's the guy we're going to target. Because we've played nine games now. And he's pretty much shown I'm not that guy. He's not someone, we're going to go back to Trent again. He's not someone you should be looking at like we should be looking mm. at Trent and going, I'm going to feast on you today. Because 1v1, if anything, he kind of is dogged enough and he has enough tricks that if you're going to skin him, he's not going to let you do it the second time. And I thought he did really well with Luis Diaz. Luis Diaz got past him a couple of times and he caught up with his recovery runs, did enough kind of, you criticised David Luiz for holding on too long. And I thought he had that just mm. right in terms of the little tricks. I thought fairly early on, you should maybe have abandoned that game plan because there was far more space through the middle. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't think we overly, we, I don't think we were overdoing it. I think because, you know, we had a fair few instances where Salah gets the ball out on the other side and, and realises he's getting no joy at Tomiyasu. Yeah, um, yeah. And you're not going to be able to get through the middle just constantly. Well, you shouldn't be able to. Um, but yeah, obviously, our, our main attacking threat was Darwin. He looked probably the sharpest of the group. Um, and we got him in a few times. I thought, unless they were going to be totally naive, I thought Arsenal were going to cotton on to the fact that balls over the top for Darwin were on. Yeah. And he did keep putting himself in offside positions as well, which is a weird... We played a really high line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's weird from him, though, that you think, one, you probably get to grips with that quite quick. You realise what they're doing. And two, you go, well, I've got the gas to... I don't have to be stood so far uh, into a, like an offside position here. I can have the run on most of these guys. So a weird one from him, but he at least sort of showed me something in this game. Whereas... If he if he learns the offside for a little bit, he'll be a player. <laughs> I remember thinking about called by all when he first uh, joined, and it worked out right for him. <laughs> for a bit. Was the worst. He he was called offside five times yesterday, which is the most times a Liverpool player has been called offside in one Premier League match since Klopp became manager. Yeah, I think he had four in another game as well. So this is clearly a yeah. And some of that's on him, and some of that's obviously the defensive understanding to time their high line, which I thought they did very well on other than the Firmino goal, and we'll speak more about Firmino. It's the other point with your, yeah. uh, your Ben White thing, is that teams do have to go with someone. I mean, like it's a pretty yeah, good yeah. back line, so it's not necessarily uh, all we're targeting him because he's the he's the weak link. It's, well, yeah. we've kind of got to go with something here. James Ollie with ESPN gave him six out of ten. Yeah, there is a... It's good for him with the Arsenal fans, though, because it's meaning you just double him down and get behind him even more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there is a... There's a weird sort of space with him where he isn't quite getting the credit. As a result of this, he probably is going to start getting a lot of credit. Too much. Yeah, it, probably, it might go <laughs> the other way. But if that gets him in the England squad, I hope it does because it does seem mental that he's not. I was expecting to be pulled up, but I did like a Sergio Ramos comparison. <laughs> oh, Christ. Long hair Sergio Ramos, early doors. <laughs> right back, right back Ramos. Um, 
yeah, he gave he gave Jacker a six out of ten as well, and um, so I, I don't really know what the guy. It was a weird thing because you're, I thought your two midfielders, I thought Jacker and Party, I thought on that first half you were saying like I think Neville said on comms that they've got to get to grips with this, and it was true because Thiago was starting to dictate the pace of the game, and, and look, sometimes a player of this quality is going to. But as we said, if we looked at him and Henderson going into this game, we thought right they're going to get exposed. There's no way they can be in there. And we were starting to dictate possession and dictate the pace of it in that first half. And you thought, this shouldn't really be happening. And Partly, I guess, it was that we're not a terrible team now, so we, we still are going to have some of it, right? But there was also a part that I thought, yeah, Party and Xhaka have got to start bossing this a little bit more, like they have been in all your other games, because they shouldn't yeah. be allowing this guy to, to sort of run the show. But then, then yeah. maybe the, the timing of the goal is perfect and changes the whole thing anyway, so... To be honest, with Henderson, I always thought he got far more stick than he was due. And I thought it was kind of a Thiago was the flavour of the month. And so kind of like with United where the whole back line can make a mistake, but we're definitely pinning this on Maguire. (laughs) And I thought I kind of felt like that with Henderson, but seeing the two yesterday and seeing them up close and the way they move, and I know they're different players, but the difference in class is very clear to see. And I think Thiago's style of play carries far more as he gets older than Henderson's does, where he doesn't quite have the engine that he used to. And not to say he's not getting about the pitch because he definitely is, but it's not the Jordan Henderson of two, three years ago. No, and let's face it, that, that athleticism was a big part of his game. Starts starting to fade. Not yeah. And he is giving the ball away in positions that he wasn't before. He's starting to do a little bit more often now. So some of the arguments people used to make out of him that were overplayed are sort of come into fruition and they're kind of doing yeah. a series toys all along where it wasn't really the case when they said it but now it increasingly is starting to become a little bit more I'm not I'm not saying he's done but it's, it's just in bad form like pretty much the whole team is because yeah. I actually thought we pressed really well but you were just doing really well evading the press um, Tiago there was a couple of times where I was kind of saying out loud to my uncle we can't let them get out of this bit mm. and somehow whether it was a wriggle, whether it was just the luck being on your side in that moment. He was evading situations in which nine times out of 10, you don't get past the press in that instance. And again, it was brave. Xhaka was pressing the centre-backs at points and Erdegaard was doing the same just because they have the biggest engines in our team. Um, By contrast, I don't think our press was brave, really. Um there was a lack of energy to it that Neville commented on. But mind you, I mean, Neville was commenting on it in like the 88th minute. He was shocked that we weren't pressing like it was the first. I was like, I think there's a pretty obvious conclusion why that is, mate. But Yeah, I think Saliba had the most touches of anyone. Yeah, and there wasn't the intensity to it. And I think part of it with ours is, I've mentioned that uh, at nauseam about that we look a bit leggy and, and not and quite lethargic. But I think even there's a, there's a mental thing to it that I think we're quite aware that how frail we are at the minute. And when we give the ball away, you instantly think, right, the team's got a chance here. We obviously, against Arsenal, is to be, to be expected, but the same against Brighton, who are a good team, but not full yeah. of goals, and they look like they could score, they could score probably five or six on us, really, in that game. And it's like the players know this, and as a result, are you going to go and sprint to your man if you know, oh, look, if he gets past me, he's probably in on goal, because the way we're playing at the minute, it's not taking a lot for teams to get uh, straight onto the back four. And I thought that there was a lot Especially of that. when we've had the result we've had early as well. Yeah. When we scored that early, then it maybe does. Yeah, and, and that's do where I, I want to press that's it. What I th- 
I mean, in terms of I felt you sort of let us off the hook a bit because I thought using that energy, using that nervousness that we had, the fans on top, I thought yeah. we had a, a hellish sort of opening five, but it should have been a hellish opening 15 or 20, really. And I thought, as you said, I don't think it was a tactical thing. I think the players maybe just paid too, Liverpool too much respect or what, but I thought they did start to drop a little bit where I thought if you, you've kind of got your foot on the, on the neck here, you sort of go for the kill. There was definitely um, PTSD in the air yesterday. Um, outside the ground, just standing around, um, two people came over Arsenal lanyards and said, do you mind if we uh, interview you about the game? Like, yeah, yeah, of course. And I thought it was going to be, I thought I was getting my time to shine here. It wasn't, they were just asking me what the score was going to be. Or I didn't give the answer they wanted and they moved on to someone else. But I said 2-2. Two, two. And they said, really? They said, you're the third person to say a draw. And I said, well, we've not drawn in 27 games. I think we're due one. So hopefully, and then I realized what I'd said. And I said, well, not, not hopefully, but um, <laughs> like, ho- ho- hopefully we don't lose. And I kind of got you a look. shook by the like, microphone. This isn't what you're supposed to say. Well, it, that was my honest opinion was, I thought we're doing better now. You're doing slightly worse, but you're going to raise to the occasion. And we've still got some demons there because you've had the most success. You've had more success than Man City over us in the last five years. Yeah. And so I thought there was going to be something in there and to show you where we were. At 1-1, I said to my uncle, you know, when you compare how we look now to how we have looked in previous seasons, you can definitely see the improvements. So like, I was internally like accepting a draw <laughs> at that point, like a good result when clearly Arteta doesn't do the same and we do get some... Uh, tactical tweaks but if we do talk about Trent first and it feels like a weekly conversation at the moment kind of like uh, when are United going to sack Ollie on here and <laughs> yeah. there was only so many ways I could put Ollie sacked in the episode title <laughs> but, but it did good numbers Trent's right? body, shameless <laughs> yeah. Trent's body positioning is just wrong on almost every occasion mm, yeah and I've, I've got to say Headless Chicken Henderson was not the support that Trent needed yesterday. When I said last week, and you did you did explain why, um, I said, why don't they just slide Van Dyke across? He said, well, it's not, we've got Matip, he does good cover in there. But the the basis of the question was, the guy's struggling, maybe we give him some more support. <laughs> Henderson was not that guy. The, the goal on the counter for the second goal is really nice, but... One, I don't know why Liverpool pressed so many men no, forward. No. I don't know if Gabriel means the dummy, but I thought Martinelli had fumbled the chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Trent is like, he's on the way to the Tottenham ground. It's, <laughs> I don't think he can believe his luck when he stops like that and both of them just go flying. No, because you look, you're looking at it, um, you're absolutely right. My first thing was, what the hell are we doing throwing this many people forward? Uh, that's, again, where I come into sort of just naive, like weirdly naive. Um, but then Thiago has a chance to make a foul, does the half foul, which is yeah. the cardinal sin. You either make sure you don't do the foul or you <laughs> yeah. clean them out. You don't do Because the rest potentially could have gone and said, you tried to foul him, he's going to give you a yellow anyway. Um, yeah. So you don't do that. And then, as you said, he's, Trent has got to basically just trust that Henderson's running with it. Martinelli hung on to it too long. You were looking at it thinking you had a free on, you had a three on three, and then there was a four because Odegaard, someone else was joining. Um, and <laughs> well, how's Gabriella? Yeah, yeah. And you're looking at um, you're looking at Martinelli. You're thinking, well, he's wasted this. He's held on to it too long. He's going to be shown down an alleyway now. 
And all Trent has to do is just hold his position. And I mean, look, I'm sure it's good intention. He's thinking that Martinelli's going to run Hendo. I've got to help him out here. But <laughs> instead, you've got to look behind you and go, oh, now Shimakas has been left with three men. Um, as you said, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if Gabriel's done with that, but it's look, it's sold. No, a, I think he tries back flicking. It's sold it. Shimakas the whole way. So, uh, yeah, it's. Because a few previous times, Martinelli had had it where he'd held on to it too long or he'd passed when he should have shot. Mm. Because I couldn't think, I don't even think he could believe how much time and space he had. We'll speak about the one incident when we get to kind of the controversies of the game. But yeah, Trent, there's when he does go down injured, I could never imagine a time when, as Arsenal fans, we're sat there going, I hope he doesn't go off. <laughs> I really hope he doesn't go off. And that was a gen- general feeling around us because everyone went into that game regardless of what they thought the result was going to be. Like, it was the most obvious narrative of the game and it played out exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the only thing I would say. People did seem a little bit surprised, but it seemed like a fairly super stereotypical in four. Trent's been defensively yeah. a disaster and Martinelli's been one of the best attacking players in the league so far. Yeah. So, uh, And he's very good at isolating his man and doing that to him. And mm. I will say in, in a partial defensive hand, normally he's good for that as in that right-handed side of the free midfield, normally in a two in this instance, good for covering for Trent. And he was in midweek. Again, Rangers aren't the same opposition. But in this instance, Martin Eddie was just causing so much carnage. I don't think it necessarily mattered. Um, well, he doesn't stop either. That's part of it. Like, he doesn't die down. Yeah, and, and that's a great thing to see. It's not... You don't really see many players doing that now. Luis Diaz has got it a little bit in it, but hasn't really done it for a sustained period in a game. He, he kind of comes in and out. Whereas... Like you said, Martin Elliott would keep, keep getting the ball and keep going at people in a way that it's the, probably one of the worst carvings I've seen a, a winger put on a, a fullback since was the fella at Swansea. What was he called? <laughs> uh, Jefferson You just had that game where it was just like, oh my yeah, God. Against Callum he's, Chambers. He's committed a murder. Well, Alex may actually be able to provide some clarity on this. I saw a TikTok recently and it was talking about games where a player has just gone like Super Saiyan for 20 minutes. And it, there was an example, and it was um, Di Maria, actually, against Barcelona. And it showed that, basically, he ran so much in that 20 minutes that he he went down, like his body's just freezing. He actually went super soon. <laughs> his hair turned but like, his, like They say his whole body is, is just like the equivalent of him being just ice cold. Just because his body is almost in shock. Just He's just so exhausted. He's just so burnt out. That that's how they described it, and I don't. Maybe I'm talking nonsense, but AJ's had that, but he's only getting out of the lake when he has that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, when you <clears throat> he could probably just go into a lactic overload, and he's just it's like completely understandable. Uh, you know, he's he's ultimately the mind. It's a perfect example of the mind pushing the body past the the limits of what it's capable of in terms of the mind was just completely switched off to what the body was telling it. You know, it's a bit like uh, if you ever heard the you ever heard like you know horses can kill themselves through just the sheer exercise that like they'll run themselves to death every you race know. week. <laughs> yeah, normally one Byron's best on. You know, you you meet you meet athletes you meet you meet athletes who like you know talk the big guy and I said I like, I could genuinely kill myself like I genuinely think I could kill myself like a horse I could probably run myself to death. You know, it's very much the same in terms of if you've got that aspect of your brain which just switches off and you just go, like you're just literally a, like a dog chasing a ball, which isn't the best analogy to describe Di Maria as. It's it's just 
you you can push that far you can it's it's very much along the same lines as you know you know that adrenaline kick that like a, a mother would get to save their child and then it catches up with you so yeah it's uh you know like call it what like you know you could it, an instant 10 second burst of strength where it just depletes your creatine mm. stores or anything like that but yeah we won't go into the science of it but yeah definitely possible definitely is doing this every game he's willing to die for the cause <laughs> he's willing to die for trends he's willing to die for three points, die for three points. And the last last thing on um, Trent for now. Um, so next week, it's been suggested, and I, I don't know if it's ever been seriously done at Liverpool, that moving him central like Kimmich is like the most obvious thing in the world, and Kimmich is the perfect example because he's gone from being a right back that did all of this to a slightly lesser level, and then moved central and he's made a career out of it. Is the difference that Kimmich did also have the defensive now, but it was just we're wasting him here, like? Could Trent be moved in and play in a midfield two or three, or is that just Klopp's never going to do that? And if he was going to do it, he'd have done it by now. Yeah, I mean, Klopp seems pretty much entirely dismissive of the idea, so that is why I haven't entertained it too much because the main the main person who's going to be uh, deciding this has shown no interest in it. His argument has always been a sound one that that he's one of the best in the world at this position. Why am I going to change it to put him there? The issue, obviously, being these errors are getting more and more uh, frequent and his confidence is dwindling. Do you do that just to change it up for him? But at the same time, his some of his issues are going to be exposed in that midfield. It's kind of, you know, it's not like it's going to go away. Certain instincts that you've got to have, he's not showing at times and you're going to need that no. to play in that midfield. So I think sometimes people kind of think, well, look, he's great on the ball. He's a got a world-class pass on him. So he's just going to go in there and start running the game and dictate and play. One, he hasn't played that position since he was a kid, properly. I know they yeah. gave him a bit of a run at England for the one game, is it? Um, <laughs> yeah, we have Beckham comparisons a year and, ago. Yeah, and so it's, you can't just throw him in. If you go into, it would be one where you'd have to go, right, we're going to play him and we're going to give him six or seven games here and it's, we're just going to see how he does. And in Liverpool's current situation... It's kind of almost crisis time already, so I'm not sure you're going to go, let's just throw this guy in there. I do. This is the only time that I would potentially have gone, we may as well roll the dice and go for it just because it's not going well for him at right back at the minute. And we are lacking a bit of options in in midfield, so he would at least be just something different. It's the first time that I've seriously entertained it as an idea. I would would definitely entertain it as an idea. I I just don't think necessarily it would be the success instantly that people think I think I think people think change his position yeah. and he'll go back to how he was but in the field and I'm, I think the mass is a bit off yeah. there. but at the same time so a lot a lot has been said about you know this is an aging Liverpool side and it's you know showing times of maybe physical fatigue 18th physical, oldest in the league yeah physical physical um limits now that the team have but you know a lot can be said I think for these players have been playing in the Premier League for quite a while now, and there'll be a good rotation of players that are used to playing against them and have played against them a number of times. And it, it may just be that you know people have really worked out how they need to play against mm. Trent. What they need to do is what his vulnerabilities are. Forcing him to change his game slightly, to adapt it, to avoid that, I think is something that is overlooked when you throw in, mm-hmm. oh, he's just getting, you know, the, it's like a fitness or a, an aging team side of things. I think you've got to change it up to 
you know, try and get around this hurdle that he's in because it's not working for you at the moment. I think one of the issues for the club is that if you take him out of the minute, you're probably putting Joe Gomez in. And I don't know that that's <laughs> yeah. solving the defensive problems. What I'm trying to say. If he's solving the defensive problems you've got and he's not offering anything, obviously, that Trent does going forward. But if we had a viable uh, backup option, I would 100% go, okay, let's see at least how he looks because at this point in time, you know, we, I was about to say we can't get, we obviously, we can get worse. We're not a total disaster, but we can't get much worse. Just just shuffle, just shuffle the starting eleven. Don't, don't you know, just like shuffle, <laughs> we'll do a raffle before the game. Like, if you end up with Van, if you end up with Van Dyke up top, you end up with Van Dyke up top. Nobody well, will know. Nobody will know what to do. Martinelli also something that with all of his attacking maybe isn't mentioned is the fact that he pressed so high. I don't think Trent even entered our half, so you didn't even get the side of Trent that you want. No, no, that's true, and. And gap, gaps are going to open up in a defence throughout a game for every single team. The issue is that every team knows exactly where they're going to be with Liverpool. And so you bide your time, you shift it to the right-hand side, and there's a little gap between the right centre-back and Trent. And every team, like Brighton targeted it all game, Arsenal clearly targeted it all game, and it's going to keep happening. And Klopp tried to invert him on Wednesday, didn't he? Which is what you do when you have someone like this. It's what we do with Zinchenko, but you then also need the midfield to be able to allow for that. And you don't have a midfielder seemingly that can tuck in like Jack is able to or whoever else we choose to use in that position. And let's face it, that's another thing that would have to be considered as well. If you are moving him, he would be that midfielder tucking in, by the way. So he would he would end yeah. up being, oh, this job that I <laughs> yeah. can't do, I've now got a cover for the guy who's also yeah. now playing in this position. So I think... But look, most fans who say move him in position aren't thinking this much, are they? They're just going, he's a disaster no. defensively, move him further forward. Sometimes they're saying, sort of, play him as a winger. Like, do you watch us? Uh, who? How are we going to play him as a winger? We don't play a, a right wing. If we do, we're, we're going to put him in Salah's position, are we? It's, I potentially, I did wonder if we might end up looking at a, a formation change even, uh, potentially with, even like, say, if you went three at the back, if you went with, say, um, so then Kanate could be on the right-hand side of that and you've got his pace and sort of just yeah. reliability, I guess, that, right, Trent, you can kind of do your thing on the right. We're going to pack out the midfield in here as well. Um, and then we've got these three defenders at the back, say Van Dijk, Matip and Kanate. I wonder just if he's going to look at making some sort of change so that we're slightly less predictable because you're both right. Every team knows what we're going to do. We don't really change it too much. Um, and they also don't have the fear now that it used to be, okay, no. we know how to go about beating them, but, knowing it and being able to do it is a different thing because we've got to survive an onslaught from that front three or, or whatever. Now, they're not too worried about that. They'll go toe-to-toe with us. And that's, I think, a scary thing for Trent, us. Trent looked, um, he looked actually embarrassed at times. There's a mm. point, and I was I was right at the end where Martinelli scores the opener. And Alisson, by the way, I mean, panicked for just about every goal because the speed at which he ran to the ref with such conviction... <laughs> <laughs> that the goal couldn't possibly stand up me so shook but Trent goes straight over to the ref and he had this expression on his face like I need to ask for this to be disallowed but I don't really know what I'm asking for help me out here and they show and they show him on match of the day and I've seen him on the sky highlights he he has his arm and he just looks like confused at what's happened like not again and obviously it then continues Martinelli it's his fourth goal in nine Premier League games um, 
his record for a season is six, which you'd expect him to smash that mm. now this season, unless he does a Giroud <laughs> in, the, in the Leicester title winning year. No Arsenal player has created more open play chances than Martinelli this season. His assist for Saka is his second of the season so far. And his underlying numbers in terms of his sprints, in terms of his pressures, he's just everything that he's everything that Klopp would want in his team. He's everything that Arteta, that Pep I think Klopp said as much. I think the biggest compliment to Martinelli in this game is that Klopp didn't talk about him after because it wasn't little Martinelli. We've, we've done really well again. It was, look, we've had some injuries, no concerns with Trent um, in terms of what I think of him, blah, blah, blah. Klopp was too busy to be crying in an interview, in fairness. That's, that's an confidence for me. There was a point early on, and when I read back through the group chat, I have to assume this is when you wrote in there, where Diaz has a head start and he still breezes past him. His pace mm. is terrifying. Yeah, it was a joke. And the fact that yeah. you look at him and you know that he can still get better, scary. Six million pounds he cost. Yeah, I mean... If Edu does nothing else, he's done that at least. Yeah, from the Brazilian fourth tier. Well, even it wasn't we we had a scout, um, Francis Cagigao, and I know him basically because of football manager, but he found Fabregas as well, and he was just a legend around Arsenal. And then Edu actually laid him off. So Okay. Um, <laughs> I take it back. He didn't even do this. Yeah, but but Edu uh, he he's a he's a friendly face for the Brazilians, and he was picked from the fourth tier of Brazilian football at Ituano. And they've used the money and they've built an academy now. They're they're, they've gone up two promotions since then. Pretty extraordinary that a club in Brazil didn't make him as well, though. You consider, well, he, yeah, because he trained with the Brazilian first team at 16 years old. What a weird. He had a trial at United. Hmm. Be interesting to hear from him with you know did a, a Sao Paulo or whatever come knocking away because just just the way that is, that country is in terms of their talent, yeah. they know him. Someone like him is a golden ticket because they know his European clubs are going to come knocking. Well, we shouldn't even have really been able to get him because they have that rule in Brazil where you, I think you have to be, you have to have a pro contract before you can leave and there's something to do with mm. an age. But he has an Italian passport. Okay. So that was how we were able to attain him so early. And he came and he was going to go into the reserves and then he, he just smashed his pre-season and you get the odd story like that. And then he comes across and as soon as he's come in, pretty much, there was that whole time wasn't there where it's like, why is Narteta playing him? Yeah, I think I... Age as well now. Um, so my tweet said I'm not really giving made a difference sooner. My tweet at the time said I'm never giving Arteta credit for Martinelli because you should be playing him from the start. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't have waited. Probably got it right. Him and him and Smith Rowe have really pushed each other as well, and it's a shame he's injured now. But the adjustments I thought were an interesting part of this game because the first thing I'll mention before Arsenal get the winning penalty, we're planning to bring on Fabio Vieira. So we've seen Arteta be quite pragmatic before. And on this occasion, it was, I'm coming for the neck. We we need the three points. Who's he coming here. on for? Uh, I don't know mm. at that point. Yeah. So I just, he's he's on the touchline. That would have been interesting so, yeah. to see who he had taken but, off. Because so frequently, it's, it's get Rob Holding, <laughs> which I was yelling for in the stands. But <laughs> when Tierney came on, I was asking for six at the back and Rob Holding on. Um, but after we scored, Liverpool just squeezed the pitch so well. And I know you said about the pressing, but it wasn't. It almost wasn't a full pitch press. It was in, 
your own half. You just pressed so well and just squeezed it so tight that we didn't have the space to even break on you. And that allowed Thiago to get on the ball so much more. Trent was constantly passing backwards. And I know you say the outlets weren't necessarily there. Jota fancied it down the flank every time. And he kept asking for the one over the top. Mm. And I don't know if we were cutting off the channels. You could not get the ball to him. And it's as, it's as quiet as we're ever going to see Jota at the Emirates. I'm sure of that. The Liverpool subs. If you're taking off Salah and Jota, I think if we were told that beforehand, we'd be assuming they were injured. Or we were winning. <laughs> you, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, and we had this kind of back and forth and I think ultimately the scoreline shows that Arteta, in terms of what we would say the elite managers are in the league, we've seen now he got the better of Conte last week and he's got the better of Klopp this week. And when you can see the in-game changes like Ben White going wider last week and even just when you changed your shape, us going to five at the back, we pressed in the midfield. Everything just seemed to work. And I think a lot of teams in previous years, when you play Liverpool, you soak it up, don't you? And it's the same as what you do with Man City. Mm. But ultimately, when you play that way, you're relying on Liverpool having a bad day. You're not really taking the game into your own hands. And I thought everything we did yesterday was Arteta saying we were going to live or die by our own tactics. And we had to make some adjustments, of course. But in the second half, I thought we pressed even higher, we pressed even harder. And it was, if you beat us, then you're going to have to beat us playing the way we want to play. And I was really impressed. We got the ball to Saka far more in the second half. In the first half, it was like watching uh, Rodgers sometimes, where only trust one receiver and he's just not going anywhere <laughs> else. And we clearly fancied that Martinelli matchup, which ignores the fact you've got Bakayo Saka on the other side. And bringing Saka into it more in the second half then frees up more space for Martinelli and everything just comes in. And I, know, I thought I thought it was really good. If you'd asked me who I'd rather be playing against, Henderson and Harvey Elliott on the wings or Jota mm-hmm. and Salah, I know which yeah, I'd be choosing. Yeah, exactly. And maybe, I don't know if you want to get how much credit people want to give us, but I think... Clearly, we were doing something that suggested to Klopp that that was the better way to go about it. And maybe he was overthinking things. It didn't feel like a Conte quit to me because you were still pushing forward after that. But it was baffling nonetheless. It looked a little bit like a I'm running out of ideas in this game sort of move, to be honest. Only in that, yeah, but I, I don't think leaving Salaron would have made much difference. I think he was just having a bad day and Tommy Asu was going to do what he was going to do. I don't think you'd have had any joy out of him regardless. They got past him once, mm. didn't they? And then fluffed that pretty pretty easily. So Jota over the left on just because he can have a stinker of a game and make a goal even. And I, th- I didn't think he was yeah. bad either. He just didn't get enough of the ball. I thought he was lively if nothing else. Um, but potentially he maybe, because obviously he was kind of knocked the week before. So potentially whether he was doing it for that, I don't know. Um but other than that, yeah, it felt a little bit like a, oh, what else have I got here? I'm sort of queer. I'm assuming he pushed Henderson up there to maybe just make us a bit more solid. Um, just 
if you accept right, we're not getting anything out of that flank, maybe we'll try and get on the other one. But it was a yeah, an odd move. I wouldn't say it was a quit, but it was a it was a strange move from a manager that seemed like he was starting to run out of ideas in that game. Because we end the game with Tierney left wing back, Tomiyasu left centre back, Gabriel in the middle, Saliba on the right, Ben White on the at right back, and then we've got Party Xhaka and Fabio Vieira hmm. as a midfield three, and then it was Martinelli and Saka left on. Jesus came off, didn't he? Yeah. No, also was it Saka mm. came off? We're left with two up top, basically. Yeah, he's stayed on, actually, didn't he? And, yeah. And I thought the way we controlled the game, the last 15 minutes, you had a point where Harvey Elliott tries a disgraceful dive. Fair play to him. Um, we were far less under the cosh in the last, well, after the penalty goes in than what I would have expected us to be. And I thought we managed the end of the game really well. Always go back to Arteta's, I want to kill them with 10,000 passes when he was asked about us hanging on for so many games last season. And I thought we did a far better job of that than I could have imagined against a Liverpool team that did look like they were feeling quite sorry for themselves by the end of it. Yeah, you looked after the ball a little bit better as well. And um, I think Klopp said in his post-match stuff that that second half, we just didn't really come out and get on the ball in the same way. And as a result, I think you saw it in the players just started to run out of energy uh, physically and mentally started to switch off a little bit as well. The um, uh, look, the, other, the other ingredient for Arteta as well is that he's been doing some of these things before, but sometimes hasn't had the breaks. He's he's yeah. had today, he's had in that game uh, yesterday, sorry, a couple of, let's face it, good lucky breaks, but also goals at the right time. Like if you don't yeah. get that goal at the end of that first half, you're coming in going, oh, it's one all. We're starting to look a bit shaky. Lads, come on, we've got to pick it up. That changes the complexion of the game. And then going ahead, uh, 3-2 when you did with the, with the penalty, There's that changes the game as well. It might have been a, a slightly shakier ending instead. Liverpool were looking at it thinking, oh, we've got to, get a, we've got to come back again. Um, and I think they looked like a team who probably didn't believe they could come back again, uh, which is, again, a pretty stark contrast to Liverpool and the clock for the rest of the time. Really, you always felt they're in with a chance if nothing else and I I didn't have a great deal of belief that we would get a goal that's partly that Arsenal defensively sound and partly that we looked a bit blunt I felt yeah well if we talk about Salah then Firmino so Salah is averaging six touches fewer per 90 this season mm. he had one touch in the box yesterday for the full time he was on the pitch how much of that is down to Tommy Asu and how much is down to the way Liverpool are playing or indeed just Salah himself Hmm. Yeah, it's it's been tough because there obviously has been. I think people are sometimes making it a little bit too black and white in terms of they're going. Well, he's having to play out wide now to accommodate Darwin Nunes. Kind of, we're making out like we're kind of treating him like a a Beckham or a Giggs in terms of right. You got to get to the byline and whip crosses in for Darwin, which I, I don't think is the game plan, and and obviously uh, is more advanced than that and isn't what we're trying to do. But he has been pushed a little bit wider, and that's not great. And then in this game, I thought it was always going to be most badly exposed because if you have to push him a little bit wider and then he's one-on-one with Tommy Asu. The way Salah's playing at the minute, when he's best in one-on-ones is when he's not having to think, is when he's, the confidence is flowing and some of his deficiencies and sometimes his touch is off, sometimes his dribbling isn't that good. But when he's confident, it all just flows. But when he's having to think... Well, City. Yeah, 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 exactly that. It shows he can do it and he'll go past two or three. But when he's not, 
you could give him like a defender to go past for I don't know two hundred minutes and he won't do it. It's just yeah. it's just something about it. You can kind of watch him and think, right, it's just not happening today. Um, so I guess it's kind of in this one, it was the perfect marriage of all three. That uh, yeah. how we're playing as a system causing him issues, his own personal performance, and what Tommy Asu was doing as a wider thing. I've said I think he's playing himself out of form and it's getting worse. And he, I think, probably would benefit from a tweak in formation. I know we've put him more central before when times have uh, become a little bit more, the goals have dried up for him. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up trying to do that. Maybe again in, in the week, we've obviously got Rangers again, maybe we might try and do it. Just get, You've got to try and get him in the game more because there's a part of me that thinks, well, he's got to get himself into it a little bit more. But also, you also got to know what type of player he is, and he isn't going to do that that much. You've got to have to try and play to him a little bit more because at the minute, if you just give him a couple of touches and then he doesn't see the ball again for another ten minutes, he's just not that guy. He's not going to do anything with that. In in the time since we've started recording, it's been confirmed that Luis Diaz is out till after the World Fantastic. Cup. <laughs> so that gets rid of my four four two formation. I was going to suggest because I bloody love a four four two. Well, um, we ended up in a slightly odd four four two with that because yeah. Firmino ended up basically just going up along on top. You thought he'd be more of a link guy, and he just ended up going, "No, no, I'll play up top, thank you." Well, Firmino, you said last week that ideally within Liverpool, you felt they were trying to move on from Bobby, and that's what they wanted to do in bringing in Darwin. But you look so much more controlled when he's in there, and I've been very critical of him <laughs> before. And at times I do think that was fair because when you're being described as a defensive striker, well, that's something the, yeah, that, that stuff is a bit, bit extreme, isn't it? But something seems to have clicked for him. He missed 18 games in the league last season and he played 30 minutes or less in nine of the games that he did participate in. What has changed for him? Because his finishing seems to have gone up tenfold and I don't know what it is. Does he just like the increased responsibility? Is he just a man in form? Has he always had this in him and you've not been playing to his strengths? What do you think it is? Yeah, it's, it's a good question because the finishing makes no sense because some of his finishing over the years... That was so nice gone. yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I say this though, he's kind of got that... Uh, Walcott always used to have this as well. When he would finish sometimes with a one-on-one, you'd be like, this guy never looks like he's going to miss. And then <laughs> yeah. you'd just watch, you could have a whole compilation of his misses. So yeah, he's, he's an odd, he's an odd one. Some of his flaws that we had the last few years still happen because sometimes he'll come on and for someone who's as technically good as him and the touch is good, sometimes he just doesn't look at it. The touch can be off and he doesn't chase like he's supposed to. And you think this, the things that brought you such sort of, Prom, sort of prominence in, in world football you're kind of neglecting a little bit and he still does it but he's he's getting back to where he was uh, when he was at, at his peak um, and, and again he's another one he seems he's not obviously not a natural goal scorer but when, if he doesn't have to think too much like that one it was straight into his feet I think Jesus straight into that. his feet by slots yeah he's probably it's probably true um, and I think potentially with him we've got a situation as well where I think he probably knows this is his last year. I think those are probably it eases up the pressure on him. He's probably also thinking, oh, all right, I'll show them what they're going to be missing. I, th- I do question his motivation over the last couple of years in terms of, okay, if I'm not, if I'm not going to be starting now, what, what am I doing? I think he's probably looked at, we've tried to get Jota in ahead of him. We've tried to obviously get, we put Mane in his position and put Diaz out, out wide. And I think now he's probably going, right, I'll, 
this is my last last uh, deal, last year of the deal. I'm going to ball out. And if you wanted to be cynical, you might say maybe get one last big move after that. Contract year is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Ask uh, Julius Randle. I think also, though, we, we are, you said about the responsibility, we're giving him more legitimate minutes. I think a lot of minutes we were giving him, were caught, he was getting a lot of empty calories. He was getting like 10 minutes here and there. Well, it's not really fair on him to go, right, go and do something because we've either got the game won and sewn up and he's just being brought on or we, we maybe we're struggling and that's why he's been brought in. So I think whereas now, ironically, we're going back to a time when he was one of the first names on the team sheet going, right, well, we know he's going to be playing yeah. in the middle yeah. and he seems to be benefiting from uh, the increased level of trust we've given him. Having said that, I guess Arsenal, we ended up with just four in front of him. It was just too flat. It was too obvious what we were doing. Yeah. Do you think this may be a bit of an ego thing in a good way? Like he was looking at Salah and Mane and he may think he was on that level, but maybe he didn't think I should be starting above those. Maybe he's looking at Nunes, he's looking at Jota and he's thinking like, these guys shouldn't be starting above me. I, I've i shown I'm the guy. I've shown I want to be the guy. Mm. And he's come in and look, Bournemouth is a nice team to come in <laughs> yeah, and like, kick yourself off with. But he's not looked back mm. after that. And it was a real sucker punch at the time when you did score, because I thought we started the second half like we started the first. And something I really liked was his celebration. He celebrated it like, what are you worried about? This is what I do. (laughs) And you compare that with Martinelli. And I saw people say Martinelli celebrates like an Italian, not a Brazilian. (laughs) Martinelli celebrates every goal. Like it's the first goal he's ever scored in his life. Whereas Bobby was like, "This, yeah, this is what I do. And, I thought if anyone in your team looked like they were setting the example, I thought Thiago was trying to do that, but there were a few too many moments in which you could maybe point a finger at him afterwards. Bobby, I don't think you could criticise him, especially after coming off the bench. I thought this this guy, well, I was questioning everything I'd said previously, and I did have to go and look back <laughs> at some of the highlights, but yeah, he, he's he's proven a point. This is he's doing what we wanted from Lacazette last year. Yeah, and he's doing what he was doing for us. It's just at some point it kind of got lost, and he kind of got away with it because we were still performing. So his sort of steady decline wasn't being highlighted as much. Now, obviously, we're struggling a little bit more, and he's he's rising back up. So it's been a weird sort of up and down one for him individually and us as a team. But there's also pro- is he given more room to advance when he's not in a false nine? Yeah, maybe. I think also there's a he has a, a level of comfort in his team and his system. He knows his job in a way that you can kind of visibly see Nunes trying to work it out. You can see even like Luis Diaz trying to work it out. He knows what he's doing. And I think that tends to translate. You say about Thiago, you're right to bring him up because he's got the same thing. He knows how he was going to play this game. You can see he has full confidence in, look, whatever I'm going to do, I know what player I am. And it's going to go. This. And Firmino's got that similar thing at the minute where he's playing with confidence, and he does seem a confidence player. And similarly, you can see it with his with his goals return does tend to be in he goes on runs because when the confidence is up, he does all his usual game. Plus, he plays the finishing touches. It used to be that people would make the argument for him is that well, he's still doing everything he normally does. The goals just aren't coming back, and opposition fans would yeah. of course say, "Well, you should be able to get goals as well." Which Somewhere in between those two arguments is probably where it probably lies with Firmino overall when you look at his career. Well, if we get into the controversies of the game, because uh, there were a few of them, Mm. the 
Gabriel Hamball seems to be the major one that's been being spoken about. I'll, I'll say at the time I had to ask, I genuinely had no clue. I was I had a look at a group chat for one of the many injuries and I just saw things being lit up about how is that not a penalty? Mm. And I think we'd had an attack just after and I wondered if maybe we'd been wrong. <laughs> I may have been honest <laughs> you talking about that. But from, from where I was, I, 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 I couldn't see it. I've seen the replay. I've seen the explanation. How incensed were you in the moment? Pretty pissed because we'd seen the, uh, the Dan Byrne one the day before was the killer. Mm. Um, it, the main thing was, I actually, as a personal thing, I think these, we need some sort of clarity with the handballs one because I think a lot of them are overly harsh, but they are being given pretty consistently now. So I thought, well, Luke will be delighted if this one's given as a penalty because he did say only last week he wants consistency. So this would have been yeah, consistent yeah. if we had actually given the pen. Um, and they didn't, which, yeah, it's my own personal taste is I do think if it's that close with the speed of it, I do think we're probably get, starting to get too harsh on these now. But the refs are clamping down well, on it. Pretty much any sort of instance where you put the arm up like that, as soon as they start showing the replay, you kind of got the U from Neville. And I thought, yeah, here we go, we're in here. And yeah. I, I did think the fact that they didn't really look at it particularly long. And obviously, they don't send it to the monster. They never do during the game. There's a couple of things. No. Um, I did think it was really odd considering the things we have seen. Obviously, it being on the same weekend as the Dan Byrne one is massively unfortunate because that one was well, they, probably the harshest I've seen. They say with the handball, the reason they don't always send them is because it's not supposed to be subjective. Now, they clearly are, but it's supposed to be, we don't need to send you to the monitor because we can just tell you right mm. now what the decision is. And the Premier League said to the Athletic that the penalty was not awarded due to Gabriel's proximity to the ball with the Arsenal defender deemed to have no time to react to Jota's cross. Yeah. Which makes no sense. I mean, it makes sense. No, but... it doesn't. Because you've given one for the exact... You've given, you've given one the day before. Well, So that's, with, that's, that's a different question. being even closer. So that's I think the rule makes sense this, whether the application of it here... That's what makes, I mean. Makes sense. It's questionable. If anything, it's the rule not being applied in the Newcastle game because that's ridiculous when you see it back. Because he's not looking, is he? He's not looking at the ball is the main thing with his one. Because, because I think the the one... The rule for the Rashford one, now I don't agree that one should be ruled out, but the rule in general where if it touches your hand and then you put it in the net, I don't think it should be 20 seconds before. But that one is black and white, so you know that when that one's going to be ruled out. This one, when you're saying proximity, if you're not giving a distance, if you're not giving anything about it, because that rule seems to suggest it doesn't matter where Gabriel's arm is. It's just if he's kicked it too hard. Yeah, and you're close enough. Basically, then the rule is then it's vague for sure. Because his arm couldn't be in a in a less natural position. No, I think that was it. Once you saw that, you thought, well, we've seen quite a few of them already this year, so we're going to cash in on here. Because <laughs> because the league seemed to seem to go the way of. Well, you said you don't want these. You said you don't want these every week hmm. with... But it, as you say, it, it's the consistency. They went out that thing, didn't they, where it was like, if your arm's raised, and then they realised, oh, hang on, people do raise their arms in a football game. And then, yeah. and then it became the unnatural position word then and the silhouette and all that various things we've been through. I, I thought I would have expected this one to be given. I think 
if we don't have the things that come on later in the game, I don't know if this is quite as big a deal. I think if you don't have it on the same weekend as the Dan Burn one and then the later penalty against Liverpool, I don't know if this is made quite as big a deal of as it is. I thought in my mind, it's a borderline call, but I did feel a bit hard done by because they tend to be given that. Yeah. All right, TK. Right, you're being you're being the calm reserve. I mean the uh, the the pen later. Allow me, allow me, allow me to step in. Allow me, yeah, go on. Allow me, allow me to step in and say it for what it is. It's probably one of the worst decisions I've ever seen when it comes to handballs. It was so like the the arm above the arm heart is is unbelievably in an unnatural position. So you can't play that card. He's literally. Pulling a dance move to stop that ball <laughs> from going any further. It's a clear penalty, and I do not understand why there's any debate on it whatsoever. I just, I just don't. That was Liverpool were completely robbed there. I mean, Lorente got you to a Champions League final with his arm in a similar position, so I would think <laughs> you would, uh, you wouldn't mind the handball rule. When I saw it, when I saw it, my my first take was. That is quite close. That that's the and only that's the only reason for the doubt in my mind is that this is very close to him. The proximity thing does feel like it comes into play a little bit. And I have, I think, said before that if it's that close, we're starting to get a bit harsh on me. But I don't know. But and and this you're gonna say this is typical Arsenal fan, whatever. I remember a couple last season <laughs> where I was thinking that that that's blatant, and the whole thing was well, we don't know what what the rule is, and it was one against Burnley where it was like that, and we were told it was too close, and it was from further away, and there was less power in it. This maybe it was maybe it was just me. I remember playing. <laughs> this is going to sound bad. I remember playing FIFA on my own and practicing to try and see if I could work out how to get handballs off people. So when I would play them around my house. I could work out how to kick it against their hands and get a handball. Yeah, the busy week that we did you. <laughs> <laughs> and this looked like one of them. Like it was just, it's just booted from that close. And that's the only thing. And the ridiculous thing is that if Michael Oliver gives that and goes to VAR, then they're going to say nothing wrong with that. That's a different penalty. And the same people in the Premier League saying this is the reasoning are going to give you a different reasoning as to why it is a penalty. Mm. Um, I saw it quoted as such online I don't know if you'll think this is ridiculous I saw it described as a as a big team decision this is the kind of decision you go away to Old Trafford and that thing happens and we're coming away going only at Old Trafford would this happen and I don't know if it's to do with the atmosphere I don't know if it's to do with whatever else we would accuse Liverpool of look we want that to- the FA won a well, title yeah, race you are probably so- a few games away from any decision going your way that's going to be what it is is that oh we need someone to challenge City, so they're just going to give Arsenal the decisions. You're, you're probably a couple of games away yeah. from that talk. I, th- I thought, yeah, the- I'm not sure it's the worst decision ever. Like Alex, yeah. said, I wouldn't <laughs> have complained. All, I wouldn't have complained. There, we're, we're already there. Honestly, some of the decisions that Arsenal are getting. I this did season, think there is a clear agenda. <laughs> there is a clear agenda to ask for Arsenal, the darlings of the. I thought FA. we were having. A, I thought we were having a sensible the, episode here, but the, da- the darlings of it, the FA, all of a sudden, the class Arsenal. Not- Oh, we're going to see this all season. Ask. All season. Said that yesterday. Got I'll tell you look. what, watching this team, watch it, what we're going to talk about next, there is nothing classy about this team whatsoever. <laughs> nothing classy. Oh, right. So the next one... Thought. It, the, the, I thought the thing the with that, one, it, by the way, that was got what, something before that yeah. with your 
the lack of attention they paid to that combined with um, the lack of attention they thought for a potential offside with your opening goal, I thought was just odd. I thought, bear in mind, obviously, they're normally getting the lines out, getting the protractors out. I thought Saka was, if he wasn't offside, he was close. I thought he was at least close. And I thought they we- kind of went past that really quickly, maybe just because, I don't know how early it was or what, but I, again, would have expected then to have a closer look at that. And if you were of a conspiratorial nature, you'd be looking at these two decisions and going, going into we halftime had, going, hang on, we've been fucked here. We had no clue. And we were going, I'm sure we saw Martinelli run past yeah, yeah. Trent. And then you saw Saka come up on the screen and like in, in the moment, I'd lost my voice already <laughs> a minute in. And it was like, I, I can't even remember how this could have been that Saka was offside. Now, I've only I've not seen the whole game back, so the highlight packages make it look like it was a fairly cut and dry decision. But I did note that they didn't get the lines out. Yeah, which I thought was odd. I thought it was very close. And um, yeah, if you were a Liverpool fan who thinks the officials are out to get you, you're gonna look. I've seen it yeah, I'm sure you're gonna look at those two decisions. The lack of, even if they were the right decision, the fact that they weren't looked at as closely when in other games will have you know they'll spend a good five minutes or something. It's, it's a little bit weird. Yeah. Now, Martinelli on Trent, th- this feels like the Van Dyke handball against Napoli <laughs> that we always refer to with how screenshots don't provide context. And I've seen all kinds of Spurs account like Lily White, Jeff and on the white <laughs> stuff, on the white stuff Spurs and all these God awful <laughs> accounts. Um, like no different carries, one rule no for them, carries. one rule for the other, with a picture of Emerson Royale. With the difference being, one of them's a pass, and one of them is a guy who's too lazy to make a cynical tackle. It, did you even think anything of this in the moment? Because it's it's he passes the ball, his his foot follows through as Trent's trying to block it. I'll be honest, I thought Trent was making a meal of it, and then I saw. Well, maybe you, someone said his, his ankle was in Yeah, Tottenham. I said his ankle was in Tottenham. But the, well, the problem was as well, so it looked a fairly innocuous challenge and Trent's gone gone down. And then you've got Neville giving his all. And then, but then the sky cameras pan away and Neville's going, oh, looks a bad one that. And you're thinking, oh, well, oh great, Trent's <laughs> broke his leg there. And that's it. Fantastic. I saw people saying that they were off all game. Like they didn't even show the Arteta Klopp handshake, did they? Uh, they, they may have done. Well, they panned yeah, away. they um, yeah, they were a bit awful. Game. And he, but yeah, so you're obviously looking at that, thinking, oh, great, Trent, Trent's like legs into it, and then you go back to <laughs> it, and it, I still don't quite know how he got back up because it did look his ankle went all the way over. It looked pretty rough. Um, you were genuinely thinking, great, <laughs> Trent's ankle. Gareth Southgate is watching you. Thank fuck for that. No one's going to ask why I'm not picking him now. <laughs> Someone snap his ankle, please. Yeah, I, I didn't think I didn't think uh, much of no. it, but look, I didn't think um, the Royale one was obviously considerably worse, and I didn't think that was the definite red that a lot of other people did. Mm. So maybe my threshold's just a bit higher anyway. Well, the disgraceful moment that I assume Alex was talking about, um, Simicass on Jesus. <laughs> this all starts. My entire is disgraceful, but Christ, Erdegaard is rolling around on the floor and it, I'm yelling at him to just get up yeah. and then it initially looked like Jesus trips over it I was saying he went out in midair like weird I'll be honest it, it reminded me of the Ericsson heart attack and that's what I think that several people were thinking at the time because he just looked like he just like snapped his fingers and he was just out before he hit the deck 
what what we see on the replays is there is an elbow involved from Simicast and I don't know how you view this because usually elbows are punished regardless of intent when an injury occurs. And this one looked pretty bad. It did look out cold. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, <laughs> he looked it, over yeah. his shoulder first as well. And I, I don't know, you, maybe you'll tell me if Simicass is that type of player, but that type of thing, usually, as soon as it looks bad, like a challenge that sometimes is a booking, if the player stays down long enough, you can upgrade to a mm. red. And I don't know if you ever had any fear with this one. I don't know how they were reporting on it. I think I think they've probably looked at it and gone. That's the most pathetic. Thing I've seen in <laughs> no my chin life. at all. The ground. Glass and, I, and decided and decided that there was no there was no malicious intent. He barely touched him, and Jesus has just felt contact on his face and has got the weakest chin in the world. The guy who got knocked out by the fish has a strong <laughs> chin. Have you ever slapped by the fish? Because also as well. I think as we'll go on to... But if I said the same about Ryan Mason... Part of the game, <laughs> he's got form for play acting. So I don't think we were looking to... We don't need to spend too much time on... That was a di- so we're saying this one was yeah, a non-starter. That was a different Jesus, Alex. You're the wrong guy. It's a different, <laughs> different thing. And he was... We're saying this one was a non-starter, are we? Oh, Jay, well, Luke, Luke has been... So, sorry, what was the question, Luke? Are we saying this one was a non-starter? This was never anything more than... What it was? No, no I, I did see some movement online that. for it to be intentional. But I didn't think looking at it, it was intentional. It doesn't look great because, by the way, I thought it was pretty mad that he did look like he was out cold, and then we just carried on like nothing happened. I thought, <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, if he was, obviously, he should have been taken off. He wasn't. That was a really weird way to go down. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think anything of it. Um, I think a lot that's of what you, that's what you do when you. Play I think a lot of arms and elbows get thrown around in the football game. Sometimes we're a bit eager to see people basically sent off for anything. Even if he's just looking over his shoulder to see where Jesus is, anytime there's the look over the shoulder yeah. and then yeah, the yeah. elbow, that is when they usually go, yeah. oh, and the slow motion. Um, but yeah, and at the time I had no clue. They give it a bit of attention. The, the sniper had got him. Yeah, they give it a bit of attention on comms. But um, again, this guy may potentially were a bit off because they, oh, they might have a look at this and uh, they didn't really. Dare I say, if that was Andy Robertson, who has more of a reputation, I do wonder if maybe more gets made of that. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, if, it, if it's money, last... nothing gets made of it until after the game, and no. that's attempted murder on, uh, <laughs> on Twitter. Um, the the Thiago penalty, and I've seen this. So this might be your, your worst I, moment here, Luke, so you've got to brace yourself. I, you might no, be able to disgrace I've just yourself. seen it on slow motion in front of me, Monday Night Football. I do not see how there's any controversy with this. <laughs> we oh see this. Word. We'll oh, see, my word. We'll see, oh, my word. Oh, my word. And hand on heart here because I'm not oh. I'm not fishing. <laughs> and my hand is genuinely on my heart. Oh, I've got my hands my raised. Like, you're not I'm fishing. in the keep net. I never, you're not, not, fishing. not fishing. He's got me out of the lake. I genuinely... This well, is genuinely the whole thing. one of the most disgraceful penalties I've well, let ever me explain. seen. Let, let, and how, how, how Jesus is not being absolutely lambasted. Let me, let me explain. Play acting. Oh, my word. Oh, Usually, my word. Go on, it's go on. Lay, lay out why, uh, why this oh, is wait, absolutely oh. fine. Because we see this penalty so many times. You, you, He's gone to take the touch. His foot is there. Yeah. And... He's he's at the bottom. He's at the bottom of his foot. Volleyed. Volleyed. Oh, I don't <laughs> <understand>. Come on. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Actually, no, no. TK, TK. To be fair, it is a volley. <laughs> if, 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 if the weight, the like, the level of contact is that of a feather falling. Yeah, if you, if you go to volley a ball but miss it, it's like, well, I volleyed it, but you did. Yeah, well, yeah. Basically, basically, a guy, a guy goes and kicks the bottom of someone's foot while they've just taken a touch. That's a penalty every single no, time. No, but only if there's uh, actual the- like proper contact this is but there is yeah, but there's not what, look what, at the slow what, motion yeah, what you're saying is I'm just, I, no, no. You, are you saying we're a non-contact sport though because no, but, uh, in, but yeah but in, you'll never in have the age, you'll never have contact but be less contact than this this is as minimal contact as you can make with someone while still touching them but you can't so that you so can't in, yeah so you can't in that case that in that's a, we're a non-contact sport then if well, that's the case then that's where we're gonna have to change look at the difference in Tierney leaves Harley well, Elliott because he knows that's what he's the perfect to do. thing though. He makes contact with him, so he looked like a dive. But he to does me. touch him. So on that basis, I I absolutely agree that would have been pathetic if that was given as a penalty. But it was given at the other end. I think they're very comparable as they both oh, when they both make motion, contact, you see barely, and one is when they looked said, at when like they stupid, said, and one's looking at oh it's a penalty. Like, What's going on? Do, do I don't do we have any? I, I don't understand Klopp's confusion as to why Jesus goes down. I don't blame him for going down. I I, I do. I do. Salah had about 20 penalties like this. And this is this is what you do. In the age of VAR, you get kicked. And we've had times where Martinelli could have gone down several more times. The Liverpool players, half the time was spent on the deck. The tiniest touch in the Yeah, back. I know. But this is also another false equivalence Arsenal fans have drawn on this game. Is that So say Oliver's given, say, I don't know, three niggly fouls in the middle of the pitch that have gone our way. I mean, that's not quite the same as failing to give a handball and giving the softest <laughs> penalty ever. But Arsenal fans, like, <laughs> unironically, were ironically applauding when Oliver gave them a free kick their way. It's like, lads, I think when you win the lottery, maybe just be grateful for it rather than going, hang on a minute, you could have thrown something else our way as well. It was a weird... Yeah, so this... We'll, we'll I see, thought this was we'll probably an identical- bad... The... The point you're making about the type of foul it is, I don't disagree with. But those are when there's actual clear contact, which could either endanger you, hurt you, or affect you, as in trip you over, stop you taking a shot. This didn't do any of the above. It, I'm amazed that Jesus felt it enough to be able to dive. Maybe, maybe the slow motion has deceived me because it looks like there's more contact to me. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to say we're trying to save your reputation here, Luke. It's I think scene. that's what we're, <laughs> yeah. it's we're trying to help. <laughs> when, when, when when your foot's when in the air, when they said Jesus was going to be performing miracles at the Emirates this season, this was not this was not what performing I voodoo on referees. Yeah, I, I never thought it would be this the, kind of with miracle. the handball. I would have thought it's a a sixty forty in our favour. You would expect it to be given. But I, can, I would have expected it I to be given. See, I'm not I saying otherwise. I can see how they didn't get it. 60-40 is very reserved. I, I think 60-40 is 70-30. I can see at least, if you're going to make an argument why it wouldn't, I can see your argument. I don't necessarily agree with you, but I can see it. This one... I'm not disagreeing with one, the penalty I can't, one. I can't work out how, one, the referee give it in real time, two, how someone on VR doesn't go, come on, this isn't a penalty. It's, it's such think- a a weird decision that I can't explain it. I think you've you've had two chances to clear it and as soon as you I mean, get into the we somewhat deserved scenario, it for not being able to clear a ball but 
anytime you get into this kind of pinball scenario in the box, the referee is laser focused and he's looking for something like when this. The, when and the I ref think- gave it, I was thinking, like, Thiago's going to have chopped him then. He's going to have missed the ball completely and chopped the player. And then I looked at him and thought, well, it can't be that. I mean, maybe this replay is carrying on and showing me something else because it can't be that. I think when, so Jesus's foot is in the air because he's lifted it to take the touch. I think anything you've done there to impede him from even having the opportunity to get on the touch is going, is going to be a penalty. You're going to see Zaha get about five like that this season. You'll see Salah get five like that this season. Yeah, but then, again, and I think I'm with most sure. of them, there's going to be significantly sure. and also, more. We're going contact. to see Son and Kane get more than more more like that I'm, this season. I'm really you, not. Sure. You're going to have <laughs> yeah. And by the way, you're going to see a load of these Arsenal fans do say, "Well, that's the same thing." Where I'm not sure it is going to be the same thing. It's going to be someone's going to make contact with someone's standing leg. They're going to go down where they could have stayed up, which is a dive. So, but there's going to be a lot of contact, a lot more contact, sorry, than there was on this where, yeah, he's, he's barely grazed it. I'll be moaning when it goes against me later this season. I mean, that's, but that's good of you to be, admit. What? <laughs> because we were all in doubt. We weren't sure if you were, you know, what? totally objective I've, on this. I've, I've, as, as said before, um, I've highlighted the agenda against Arsenal by referees. And so when you get one go in your favour, it's like, wow. So this is how this is so how this, feel every so this game doesn't yeah so this game doesn't like serve as a bit of a problem for the agenda against Arsenal uh, movement. This is just an anomaly. Yeah, and, well, and the l- first l- one disregard the narrative that's been created around some of these Arsenal players who just when they throw themselves to the ground, they're not that kind of. Player. I'm not going to have they're this from a team with Son and Kane in it. <laughs> they're, they're uh, genuinely, like, don't even get me started on Saka, who somehow has this narrative around him where he's the dark. I, I tell you what, AJ, and where he's I, need, capable, like, I need to find out how brave it is that he still takes penalties because I, 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 I don't know. I feel I, like he's just done two tours of Afghanistan no. every time I see him take a pen. TK, no, no, honestly, T- they're, they're talking. They talk about it. They talk about him like he's like you know when you're playing you're an adult and you're playing with a six-year-old and you knock him to the ground he's a grown man he's one of the best attacking players in the street come on i've got something for us if you wouldn't mind both pausing um i think peter drury can take us through the penalty now this is one brave boy for kyo saka because this is one pressure penalty he has experienced pressure from the spotlight few others he has suffered for that pressure but now the Emirates braces itself for a perhaps pivotal kick of the football. These are broad shoulders. This is courage. A sporting moment in time. Akayo Saka. I was nervous all over again there. Sorry, I just uh, stopped listening for that bit. I'm back. Sorry. I was I was nervous all over again. And Peter Drury, that man is a poet. And as you said, brave, brave boy. <laughs> Liverpool, Liverpool tried their best. Two minutes they take. Two minutes they're trying to put them off. Nothing probably, I don't know if it's you or Alex, that's, I feel like myself going back to where I was last week. Van Dyke probably sums up his season that he tries to knock the ball out of Saka's hands and misses. <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> and then Martinelli tries to shove him and it, he realises like this. Oh, this Maybe is not such a good idea. Yeah. 
Did I miss uh, anything in the last thirty seconds? Because I just went for look, a piss. One. Uh, the listeners, the listeners, um, lis- uh, experienced it with me, so uh, everyone's good. That music, by the way, if we had that for all, I did also think, yeah, think that would really add something. Kind of done Drury a favour with the instrumentals. I thought, <laughs> I don't know if they could do it for Martin Tyler, but it would help him. It's that uh, Titanic effect, isn't it? Everything's yeah, exactly. more dramatic with the Titanic music. Drury commenting on the Titanic would be fantastic. He he's watched a collection of uh, football comps beforehand and he knows that is going straight in all of them. And around April time, to... April time when, when there's a title race still, there's a couple of points in it. You're, you're seeing that in a, every compilation. You're saying that's your Aguero moment right there. No, I think it's, um, I think it was a very important game has, in terms of Arsenal. He has just said there's going to be a title race and they're going to be very close to <laughs> the season. He's a little Freudian slip here. He's shown I us think, what he um, thinks. I think this is the, the there's a, there is now this, this, there is a, and they'll, he's going to deny it. Yeah, he's, he's going to play it down it. now, but there we saw it into his mind. He's gonna, we saw it and his, the hand is telling, they genuinely think they're title contenders. They genuinely Look, think if, it. If, um, if someone could, come down and say to me and God somewhere and be like, I I promise you party's going to stay fit. Then look, why not? Then as Ben White said, as Benjamin White said, why not? Um, but no, I thought that was big. That that was big in the context of our season. I think that was big in the concept of the narratives, um, particularly if we'd taken the lead twice and then failed to win. Um, I thought this was the first penalty with Saka where it wasn't just a, I'm happy he scored. I thought it was a good penalty. It was a very good penalty. Alisson goes the right way. Yeah, because when I see Alisson in the net, and as I said earlier about the size of him, I kind of get the feeling if he dives the right he's way, then yeah. he's probably going to save it. And I, my favourite thing about the style of penalty is Aubameyang was horrible and Lloris had this sussed actually and it stopped us getting Champions League football where he worked out from a penalty he'd had a fortnight before that Aubameyang is going to wait till the last second wait for you to move and then he's going to do it and Lloris said well I'm not going to move and so then you hit the ball with less conviction and he manages to make the save Saka said when he was asked about all the commotion he said well I knew where I was going to put it from the start so it didn't make a difference and I think you saw that in the penalty but I thought that was a a big moment in terms of the penalty I can see I can see why you're upset but I also can't see why it's quite the talking point I think if if you had I think the the handball should be the talking point I thought this was I mean I thought they were both bad but I thought this was comfortably worse for me Um, yeah maybe I genuinely have seen different replays because I've seen the slow motion more times than I can count and looking at that he kicks through the bottom of his foot which it does it shouldn't take him to the floor but I'm going to be cursing him if he stays on his feet there so, uh, and I think you're going to get a penalty more times than not for that for that I think there's there's a level of contact that has to be made I don't think he got near it the this is where we we because I actually think that there's a significant amount of contact yeah so uh, maybe maybe I have watched a different one. I think can you've I got. No? I think you've can got. I no? yeah, I, I, have I just we, gone on a? We we've tried here, Andy. We've tried to help the guy out. Gonna, the listeners are going to be going. This guy's insane. I'll oh, try and be try and help him. I out. think you've got the top part of his foot. You've got up to the bottom of his big toe that makes contact with the heel of Jesus. Yeah, I'm, uh, 
I'm really not sure what you're talking no, about. Really. Uh, there's no way. You yeah. Can, like, I'm just moving. Do we on. need? Do we need Peter Drury again? We need Peter Watt. I, I can go for another piss. I can go for another piss. I, <laughs> I what did Peter Watt? Oh, he, he was uh, he was on there. Uh, he was on Sky. Um, the as a as a point you said about the uh, the agenda thing. As a genuine, and I know I've gone this. I'm genuinely like interested as a, a psychological sort of experiment of Arsenal fans, and they're only the extreme end of it. But because all football fans have this to an extent, but Arsenal fans after this game, that this weird sort of rush to take to social media to protect the there is an agenda against us amongst officials narrative. You probably just go this game. Yeah, they did us a solid here. Maybe just carry on, try and sweep it under the carpet. They were genuinely going out to war. But no, no, they still I hate think, us. This is why. And either justifying the decisions, which I think, as we've touched on here, probably can't be justified, or trying to say, well, actually, they were the wrong decision, but we rode this. And it's kind of just a weird, like, you just won the game. A, a big win, a significant win. I was like, this is a I get weird what fight. I, I think it's kind of like, um, if you've just beaten someone on FIFA for the first time that you never beat, and then they say, but I wasn't really trying yeah and i think that's i think that's pretty much what it was i think it was and not myself because i was well aware of probably how this was going to go i think a lot of arsenal fans rushed on twitter expecting to see tottenham fans man united fans chelsea fans raving about just how good we were and were shocked that that wasn't the case and it felt like people were trying to there is a weird something they were very happy about yeah and i think that's probably what it what it was but Um, it seems to be this this kind of thing that you can't have just overcome Liverpool. You had to overcome the refs as well, even though the refs in this case did you a favour. And it's I didn't. I didn't. And it's kind think of that. like um, like you know when Pep would try and like put City as like the underdogs. <laughs> like Pep, don't insult us here. Like we know what you are. Just just accept that you're the, the big bad. Ladies horse. and gentlemen, don't forget there is one team that has been better than us this season. We have not been the best team. <laughs> um. Klopp said a couple of things went against us. We're not blind. We could see we could have done better in moments. In general, it was a good away game against a good side. We caused them a lot of problems, but standing with no points. I saw it and I think you can imagine. I don't think it's a clear penalty. It's a very soft one. I think it's a situation where the referee should have had another look in real time. There's no way Michael Oliver looks at that in real time and then doesn't give it after he's already given it. Once he's given it, he's not going to go back on it, which is, again, another flaw. Last last things on this. (laughs) Neville said in his post-game that Arsenal are playing at full pelt. I, I, it didn't feel like that to me. I thought, given the first half, given points in the second half, I thought there's still more to come from this Arsenal side. I thought there were several players that can still go up another level. And I, I don't like the idea that this Arsenal team is currently playing at its peak when half of them are below 23 years old. Yeah, I know. But I think you're uh, potentially misreading that. And I, I don't think in your part, I think in some Arsenal fans online, there's been a, a deliberate misreading of this. I saw that um, that Karl Anker getting some stick before the North London derby, right? And, I, and I've got no real desire to defend Karl Anker. <laughs> um, but his thing was that he thinks Arsenal are at their ceiling, Spurs aren't, right, going into that game. And I thought it's pretty yeah. clear what he meant was that Arsenal are playing well or in form. Spurs are picking up wins but aren't playing that well, right? So he thought ceiling, their though. performance could be better. I think... For now, in some of these games, this is as good as Arsenal will be. But are you, you know, but this is, we're talking about for this season. I think you're going to play games this season that are worse than this. Are you going to play significantly better than you have in some of these games? 
I don't think it'll be significantly better. It'll be very good. So you're not saying, right, this is it, and then the next two or three years you're not going to get better. I think the assumption is you will get better. But yeah, I think you're in really good form at the minute and it could be that you never play better than you have in these first few games. And that's fine. They're still going to have a great season. Mm. Whereas I think some of it has been sort of deliberately misinterpreted as a, oh, well, this is just Arsenal bottom now. This is it now. They're never going to... And I don't think that's quite what people meant. Maybe he did and he was being an ass. I don't know. But I don't think it was. (laughs) I think um, we're giving the benefit of the doubt that he probably was being an asshole. Some of it is obviously deliberately... Him, yeah. Well, he's still doing. He's still doing the thing. Like if they get to February and they're still in this position, then I still think that Chelsea and Tottenham and United, with their experience, they're still going to be able to get past him. Well, look, uh, you said uh, usually it's after ten games we say, "All right, the the league table now shows us where we are." I've never before heard of we need to get to the end of February and then we'll know how good a team is. Yeah, look, you also got to think. Look, Arteta's outwards. Klopp and Conte, but Ten Hag's outworks Arteta, so he's the main guy. That's uh, yeah, yeah. That's f- what uh, online tells me. Um, why do Liverpool keep starting slowly? <laughs> Martinelli's first-minute goal was the earliest Klopp side have conceded this season, but it's the sixth time they've fallen behind in the league in eight games this season. Tenth in the last twelve, uh, dating back to the end of last season. In your pointless stat of the day. In a league based on first half score lines alone, Liverpool would find themselves bottom of the table. <laughs> Christ. So you're leaving yourself you, in where you're used to playing from a position of strength and you would bully teams. You're approaching every game in almost a position of weakness because yeah. you're giving yourself so much to do. Yeah. Yeah. And people will say that's pointless, but that's not a, that's not a pointless stat. That's absolutely relevant. Um, the only reason I get my back up about it is because we always do our stats of if if this happened, we'd be top of the league and Liverpool would have been yeah. pretty uh, good at If Arsenal didn't stats. have Van Persie. Yeah. I remember when we'd had the, it went from if you didn't have Suarez to if you didn't have Suarez and Sturridge. Oh, take our top two <laughs> goal scorers out. Okay. Yeah, that seems fair. Um, yeah, yeah. We, it's been a problem for a long time now. Um, even last year, obviously where we was still good hitting 90-odd points, we still weren't starting games in the way we used to. And there's, I think I've said on here a few times that it doesn't have to be that you have to give your all for 20 minutes and then be spent. You can have a balance of where you give that, that high press and intense start to a game. And if it doesn't quite come off, sort of relax into your usual game, you can still win because you've got the quality on your side. And we don't seem to be doing either. We don't seem to be doing an intense start and then fade away. And we don't seem to be a slow build. We just never quite get there. And I think a lot of them is, so a lot of the games are complacency. I think there is a... I think you'll always fancy... It doesn't matter what happens, but you'll always fancy them in a European game because there's sort of it's a night game, you're up for it, it might be elite European opposition. And then you get to a Saturday 3 o'clocker or a midday game. If it, that intensity just isn't the same from the players, probably from the fans as well, but from the players either. Yeah, for this though. And yeah, yeah, I'm coming to it, is that you can explain the, the complacency in a game, even at Brighton, which is stupid because they're a Sorry. good team. But I think there's not the same hype around it. And so the players see, visibly look like they're not as, I don't know if up for it is right, but not as switched on, certainly. The amount of times you see them switched off in possession, Trent is really bad for it. But yeah, in a game against Arsenal or in another big game, I've got no explanation. I can only assume that it becomes habitual. It just becomes a habit that you can't break. That that intensity that you once had, it's hard to get it back once you don't have it. 
in in contrast, this was the ninth goal Arsenal scored within the first thirty minutes of a Premier League game this season. Mm. Um, it's just about sustaining it for ninety now, because I thought <laughs> we didn't have a great first. If we just utterly dominate a, a game for ninety, then that yeah. would be uh, that's all you need. What well, I think, and I did say at the time was never going to be the case. I think the Brentford game was the standard in terms of that was the only mm. time I'd seen us for 90 minutes just completely control a team. Um, Tottenham had, I think, five to our 85. But with this, it's it's just about, even if you're not scoring all the way through the game, just having that level of control. And uh, that's, something to, that's something to work on because for so long, Arsenal have been tagged as this team that crumbles the minute the tide turns against them. And I think there was still that feeling when Tottenham got the equaliser last week. Um, well, when these last two games are two big boxes ticked. Yeah, particularly at home this season. And I don't know how well it comes across on the TV. You get a moment of groans, as as you do. And then you get almost a bigger roar than when you've scored a goal, where I think there's a belief in this team that there hasn't been previously and for good reason. But it, it, it does just feel different. I think a lot of Gabriel's issues this season, and he's not had a good start to the season, is that we actually just play more offensively this season. And I don't want to do a whole debate here, but I've been quite harsh on Romero. And part of that is because I think it's so much easier to defend when you are going to hang on the edge of your area for 90 minutes. I think if you put Gabriel doing that for 90 minutes, he'd, he'd look like a world beater. And I think maybe... I'd love, one, I'd love to see a Gabriel Romero partnership, just the most rash, <laughs> angry partnership. Because Saliba also is flavour of the month, isn't he? Mm. So anything he does is kind of offsetting with Gabriel. Because Gabriel, it's not like for 90 minutes he's playing like a bozo. He just has these moments where he just... Yesterday maybe is harsh. Yesterday maybe is... Uh, he just doesn't get a touch on the ball that nine times out of ten he's going to. Um, your second goal, I think. I think there's an argument whether he has to go for it, even though. In in life, yeah, goal, I agree. Because um, then the high line worked almost the whole way through the game yesterday. The second game, the second goal, Saliba steps out, and you're straight through. So it's going to happen. It's a, it's a new part. You're also playing though at a level where. If he's going, right, he's great, but he's going to have one big mistake in the game. You're going to go, well, hang on, everyone else is doing their job. So you're the next guy that's going to drop out. And if Ben White gets shifted back in, so let's say if Zinchenko's fit, you're going to go, well, I'm going to bring him in at left back. Tommy Asu's done a good job. I'm going to put him at right back. Yeah. Ben White can take your position, thanks. And I think at that point, I think most, if you did like a survey, I imagine most Arsenal fans would probably come out with that as their back four. If I was having a guess, so yeah, I don't know if he's aggressive enough. Would be the only thing is to I think you'd want to see whether it would work. So yeah, I think if, yeah. if they want to see like next game if they're all fit, I think that's probably what Arsenal fans would go with. Did you see Ben White's post game? I don't know why they keep asking him to do interviews. He's just not interested again. Yeah, like a guy who's quite openly said like he doesn't really like football like that, and he's being asked. You know, uh, you see a lot from last season. Like, yeah, we're a year older. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a bit different and then he says uh, title contenders can you do it why not he's like a he's like a teenager who doesn't like his parents thinks they're just massively uncool it's like Jeff get up stop talking to me like he's well, his dad when you see a, when you see a cool kid in cartoons and they're cool basically they just don't talk <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I can see yeah. Ben White like up against a wall like one foot raised leather jacket <laughs> yeah 
chewing on a toothpick. Um, no, that was go. probably um, like the the thing with the. I thought the decisions were bad. The I can't be too fuming about it in that Arsenal probably were the better team. So ultimately, do I think people people also have a bit of a thing with decisions as well, where they think the game would have gone exactly the same. So if you hadn't got that penalty, yeah, you it. may still have won that game. We might have drawn two all. We might have gone and got a goal. I'm not sure we would have, but it, it could have been something different, but I don't know. Whereas people yeah. think it would have been exactly the same. It's not the same. And also, they, we have this weird thing where you kind of think, all right, one decision can go against me, but the second can't. It's like, well, two could go for you and two can go against you. It can happen. It's not a... Uh, they're not divvying out like, well, the first one was a bad decision, so we better give you the second one. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really work. So in which case, next game, we're obviously owed two free ones. And if we don't get it, hey, Man City, if, good time. To if we in. don't get it, then I'm going to be saying the league's got an agenda against us, and that's why we're 13th <laughs> or whatever we're going to be by the time City have done a job on us. I think you you cash your chips. Um, last question, not on the Arsenal game. I, I don't know if you saw uh, Aubameyang's comments and if you had any particular thoughts on them. Well, he's come out and done an apology tweet today, hasn't he? Of sorts. Yeah, fucking idiot. <laughs> I think it's probably how he does perceive it. It's probably that he thought, um, this guy's getting on my case. He wants younger players who he can dominate, which I think is probably a widely held view. And it was always going to be does this come off or not? And at the minute, it looks like Arteta was absolutely on the right end of the argument, doesn't it? But then like, Jack is quite a big character, isn't he? And he seems to have the best relationship with Arteta yeah. that we've seen of any player. I did see someone say like, all he asked was that you like, don't be late and just set a half decent yeah. examples. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's not asking for that much, is it really, I guess? No, maybe don't do an interview in a, in a jeweler's um, and then they can release it a year I later. I think he looked reluctant when he was saying it, but just don't say anything then. Yeah, yeah. I look to see if someone's filming, or I mean, he probably got a free chain out of it. That's probably why he did it, and uh, he's keeping them happy. But I mean, his his tweet today did essentially say, "Well, I was a bit pissed at the time, and I've calmed down a bit now." Really, it was kind of what he said. Yeah, I hope a lot. I hope they do well, Everton, when we play them. Like, we ain't full of your emojis anymore. We let them slide <laughs> because you were putting it in the back of the net. Mustafi didn't get away with his back on top emojis. So you don't get off this lightly. Um, but there we go. Um, I don't know if Alex wants to apologise maybe for his thoughts on the decision. Apologise that I wasn't wasn't more clear? Or... <laughs> I, I, gave, I gave you the platform, um, but we'll Me, me and AJ tried there. giving you... Start, you were putting the rope around your neck thought Luke don't do it don't do it but you, you had to you all did it I've got to say TK if, if I know our listeners I think they'll all be sat at home nodding along with me going you know what He's I can't believe right. how right he is <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on Video footage via TMZ surface showing Wednesday's altercation between Warriors teammates Draymond Green and Jordan Poole they quote as saying the video shows Green approaching Paul and coming chest to chest with him during a practice session. Paul then shoved Green, who retaliated with a swing of his right fist that appeared to land on Paul's <laughs> face. Now, for those unaware of this story, Draymond Green plays for the Golden State Warriors. He's nearly a decade older 
than Jordan Poole. He's listed as thirty-six pounds heavier. They had some kind of disagreement in uh, training. We're led to believe this isn't uncommon. It's particularly not uncommon if you know Draymond Green. And he kind of tries to get in Paul's face. He shoves him away, pushes him out of his space. And he responds by knocking him out cold. Like, (laughs) there's no, I don't think you should put it as nicely as uh, TMZ or The Athletic have. He punched a guy half the size of him. Whether you want to call it a sucker punch or not, it was in his face, I guess. He definitely wasn't expecting it. It's a very bad look with a guy that has a history of bad looks. And the question is whether he's going to be able to get his way out of this one, TK. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he fucking will. Uh, it's, yeah, the athletic and TMZ, I was half expecting the headline to be uh, Jordan Paul's chin hit Draymond Jean's <laughs> fist the way they slanted it. It was weird. Um because this story was obviously released a day or two before the video. Yeah. And if you'd listened to that, you'd have gone, why the hell are they releasing this? This is nothing. I'm sure teammates are always getting into altercations, kind of like a training ground bust up in a football team. Nothing yeah. much to it. But when like an actual punch is being thrown, is in, like you said, knocking someone out, that is a serious, serious issue that, I, I mean, could be impossible for them to get past. But even if it's not, even if there is a, a, a way back for him, they're going to have to do some sort of punishment where it looks a certain way. So he's going to have to have a certain amount of ban and a certain, a, a certain sort of a, amount fined just as a, well, look, Draymond doesn't really run the show here, even though we know the officials let him away with murder and clearly the team are letting him get away because the way he was sort of barking at people and no one really went yeah. back shows he's obviously running this show the whole time. It's not like you've done it to a senior guy either. It's not like you've done it to one of the centres. It's like... Proper cowards have done it. it. Yeah, because it's not even like Paul squared up and it's not like Paul was being aggressive. Paul, the shove from Paul is like a get out of my yeah, face. Yeah, don't be leaning this close to me. Supposedly as well. They've been going back and forth, but the whole thing had been that Draymond just kept calling him a bitch and Paul said something about, you know what, it's a, you know what time it is or something that to uh, Draymond about the fact that he's getting that new deal and, and Draymond still hasn't got his yet. Yeah. And then Draymond comes over and starts swinging. You're like, you've just been called someone a bitch repeatedly and they give you one thing back and you think you've got to go and like lay him out. I mean, this is a guy who clearly has no one ever stand up to him and no. could not face it when he does. It was, I know I was, I was half joking when I said about uh, my tweet about the Celtics with him, but I'm amazed that no team gets this out at the time didn't we how no team just goes at him and said we're going to get this out of you because you've got that in you you're going to lose control at some point but they all just let him push it and push it and push it and do what he wants and no wonder he ends up nailing someone with a punch because if you never ever face some sort of someone coming back at you you'll keep doing it from memory there was an incident in the Celtics game and one of your players held him back yeah 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 it's and with them, you can go... When he was off, he was gone. Yeah, you can... With them, you can go naive. They didn't know because you've got players there. This is their first time in the finals or whatever. Someone in there has to go, right, let him do it. And we take we take the hit here. He's getting suspended. And they've got all the focus on them of how they've got to deal with him. And this is where I do also wonder as well. It's, it's interesting, and I guess a nice thing, that the cynicism of us as football fans 
permeates into American sports in a way that they haven't really where we basically have accepted a long time ago that diving and things like that are part of our game and goading and getting something out of people is part of our game. And they obviously, whereas they look at flopping, as they call it, as a quite a, a serious offence, right? You can't do it. Whereas yeah. in this, you'll be going, I'm going to get this guy to hit me and he's out for the series. And I can't believe no team has ever done it. And you must be looking at it every time now. There was a there was a celebration when uh, Darwin Nunes got sent off, wasn't there? Like we had full mm. articles of this is how we managed to break him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was struck um, by that. They didn't really do anything. <laughs> he just snapped. So the Warriors GM Bob Myers said last Thursday that Green apologised to the team with Paul present. Um, the two are known to regularly get into verbal arguments, but the team's management and leadership believed a line was crossed. Yeah, no, no shit. <laughs> um, they said Myers did not announce a punishment on Thursday, saying that the Warriors would handle it internally, but he said that he did not think Green would miss any games, which rules out a suspension. Now, after last season's championship run, Jordan Poole probably holds the fourth most responsibility in that Warriors side after Draymond, Stephen Clay. Yeah, maybe Wiggins, but yes. And when you do the reading on this, they say the reason this is so important now is that Paul is eligible for a giant contract extension and the deadline for that is October 17th. Hmm. So if you run through all the scenarios and look at what the Warriors have the money to be able to do, everything kind of goes back to if Paul doesn't want to stay, they've got a very big task on their hands in terms of replacing him. If he does want to stay, well, they have to look at Draymond now and say, do you want to stay with him? Mm. Because you may have to move him on if he wants to stay. And he also says, I am not, I'm not playing with him ever again. He's the more expendable guy in this situation. They're already not offering him a new deal as you've alluded to. And I tend to think like things are, there's very, very few uh, situations in sports that are basically irretrievable. I think there's almost always a way back, even when people don't expect there to be. I think slumping someone in training might be when we go, I don't know if there's a way back from that. When Green said in his press conference, and I don't know if we were supposed to be sympathetic for him because he's calling himself a flawed character. Like I don't know what he's trying to do. When, he when he said, I know his mother had to watch that. Oh, don't be doing that. I mean, I yeah. Mum had to watch him get slumped. His friends and family had to watch. I was like, you're carrying on digging it. Because you're like, yeah, I had to watch him, me humiliate him. Well, even when he said, I've watched it back about 15 times. <laughs> and I've got to say, even if, even if it's someone I like, and you're happy with yourself. I think if you I lay someone what? out in one punch, <laughs> I probably am going to watch it back a few times to be like, I didn't know I had that. I didn't know I had that in me. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is why I don't unholster these weapons. Like, At what point Draymond, during the watch did he go from feeling, "Oh, that's shameful, isn't it?" To that was a shot. <laughs> I'm surprising yeah. myself here. And so the whole thing with that is, Paul hasn't made a comment yet, which I think is the right thing to do. But eventually, he's going to be asked about. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. The the NBA reporters are ruthless. Mm. They had the one where they were asking LeBron why the bookmark hadn't moved in his book. <laughs> for the whole of the playoffs <laughs> and then I asked him look you mentioned the godfather a lot what's your favourite quote and he's like, oh you know all of it oh, I like all of it um, 
that was like when they asked Trump uh, which book was his favorite in the Bible. He said, I, I like all of it. And he said, well, are you an Old yeah. Testament or a New Testament guy? I was like, I like both. <laughs> so I, just, I couldn't choose. I couldn't choose. They, they're going to have to offer him about 30 million a year. I think it was um, Tyler Harrow signed a 120 million deal this week with the Heat. And so Paul is like, well, <laughs> you're going to pay me. <laughs> if Tyler Harrow is you are going to pay me. Um, and so it all basically it's in his hands. It's in his hands as to whether he wants him to hang around or not. Draymond, there's a whole thing of him being a leader where, whereas his actions constantly point to the fact that he's anything, but Paul has the power to make or break him really. And it's, it's huge for the Warriors because if Paul now says, I don't want to play with him anymore, you're going to try and trade him at the point where his stock is at its lowest. Yeah. Yeah. If Paul does want to play with him, have you boosted this guy's ego to a point where if he doesn't get punished for this and the maximum they can find him is 50,000. If he gets away with this, it's like he, he's got to be feeling untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. What does he do next? <laughs> I think something that was quite telling is, and I'm sure you saw it. Some of the narrative coming out was immediately that, Paul had been lazy in training and part of this was Draymond basically sticking it on him and pointing this out. Jesus. Curry, Iguodala and Steve Kerr all came out within hours of that story kind of circulating on Twitter to blow that up. Curry said, whatever that specific tweet was that was put out yesterday insinuating that JP's attitude or something has changed since he's been in this training camp, or whatever time window they're talking about, it's absolute BS. Andre addressed it yesterday with his tweet. We'll leave it at that. JP's been great. There's nothing that warranted the situation yesterday. Let's make that clear. But it's also something that won't derail our season and what we're trying to build. And that's with Draymond a part of that. I hate that this became a part of the narrative because it's not fair to JP. Yeah, that's telling, isn't it? Yeah, the fact they felt the need to to squash that. But then also they're coming out and saying Draymond's his boy at, this, at the same time. And those two do ride out for each other. Put him in a difficult position. Certainly, if Steph's the, f- the face of this team, you, you put yourself in a brutal position where Draymond's your boy, but he's clearly in the wrong. Well, he, he emerged as a leader. Like We knew he was kind of the face of the team already, but there was a moment, wasn't there, where whether it was true or not, Steph came out and said that he essentially brought the crowd on him in Boston because they were getting on Draymond to the point that it was affecting his game. Mm. And there was that, I think it was game four, where he's more vocal than he's really ever been yeah. in terms of engaging with the crowd. And people, this is what leaders do. And he clearly does have that feeling towards Draymond. And they're probably questioning who better they can get on the market, even with Draymond and his jump shot betraying him in the last year and a half. I, 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 I don't know. It's a horrible one for the Warriors to try and negotiate their way out of because I actually don't think there's anything they can do. It's literally all on Paul, isn't it? If he if he's also, cool with it, they can get away with it. If he's not, they've got a huge problem. There's pressure on Paul because you know how fans are. And say Paul was to come out and said, I don't feel comfortable playing with this guy. I don't think I can forgive this guy for what he's done. People are going to turn around and say, well, what a bitch move. Yeah, 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 exactly. 
And so I really don't know how he manages this. Um, no, it's a double whammy think, for him because he's had to have this and he has to be fine with it or he's getting he's judged. Helped, he's helped himself with his performances in the finals last year because if he was coming into this on the back of uh, a guy that perhaps hadn't shown those kind of levels, I feel like it's probably an easier decision for the Warriors. Um, but yeah, Draymond, as as we've mentioned before, he hit LeBron low, cost them a championship, or at least that gets a part of the blame. I don't know how the fans will... Maybe this is one where the fans let that slide at the time and then you go back and you go, look, we let that slide and now you've done this. Steve Kerr spoke about him going off at him during the halftime of a game against the uh, Thunder in 2016 where you could hear it in the corridor and he was asked about it after and he was like, I think conversation is healthy, but that was strange. I think he described it. (laughs) He blew up on KD on the sidelines in 2018 and was picking a fight with him there. And then he openly blamed the Warriors executives for KD leaving on a podcast a few years back. Yeah, when he at least probably started the process or accelerated it, I think, by by what he did. I think that was when KD said, right, I'm out of here eventually. Yeah, I think they probably do this and they sort it out and then they probably do well at the start of the season and we're hearing about if anything, this has made us stronger as brothers <laughs> because we overcame this. Yeah. I think we do this like it's a teen comedy. Jordan Paul gets one shot back. He's got to make it count. <laughs> you don't want to just give him one of your, what was that? I think that's what happened. I remember, I remember hearing a story around here of someone that nicked someone's bike and um, they actually nicked it from someone who they probably shouldn't <laughs> have nicked it from. And they returned it. And they were basically told, well, I, mean, I appreciate you returning the bike, but you still did steal from me. <laughs> I get a free shot at you. <laughs> Broke the kid's jaw. Oh, Christ. And whether Paul has that in him to do that, I think I think that's at least what he's owed. <laughs> Live stream it, ideally. And then there's pressure more on Paul, because what if Paul doesn't ice him? Yeah, what? Who makes just a bad connection? You don't really, yeah. see that video of the bloke on the punch machine recently. They got one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't ever show your face in public again. That's like Paul punching like he's in a dream. But I think that's actually think that's the best way to solve it. Or you can volunteer someone else to punch him. Like he yeah, can get a trick. he can nominate a champion. Yeah, he gets Deontay Wilder in. <laughs> just have one shot. Make him. We complained about the pay per view price last week. How much would you pay? The whole there's no undercard. It's just Deontay Wilder one shot on Draymond Green. If I tell you, it's not going to end up on Twitter after. I was paying more than I'm comfortable <laughs> with me. That was <laughs> sensational. Make him swallow those fucking teeth in this. Love put him in that mascot suit because the video of Wilder punching that mascot is still one of the <laughs> best things ever. I mean, he could have killed the man, and we're all just watching it like this is hilarious. How pleased he is after it's the little turn on it. I, <laughs> I still just have no explanation for what I didn't think there was a man in there. I was like, what did you think was in there? I understand. Yeah, it's, it's it's mental. What what do you think ultimately happens here before we move on? Yeah, I think they're going to give him like a four game suspension or something, and that's yeah, really nothing here. But I think that's what they'll do, and they'll say this is the, what we could have done. We've made an example of him. He's 
apologise. Like you said, we'll have all the usual stuff if it made us stronger. I guess we'll see probably about, well, it depends on what Paul does. If he stays, we'll see how effective it's been by the uh, by the end of the season, won't we? Yeah. Um, if we move on then, so the biggest fight of your career and you test get tested positive for a banned substance, it baffles me. Connor Ben said of Jarrell Miller back when his fight against Anthony Joshua was called off. Now, last Wednesday, a story leaked yep. in the Daily Mail that Connor Ben had failed a drugs test ahead of his proposed fight with Chris Eubank Jr. Ben had said previously, I'm not even at world level and my nutritionist had a go at me for taking vitamin C tablets if they haven't been tested. Now, yeah, it was the day of Ben and Eubank's media workout. News broke that Ben had failed a voluntary anti-doping agency test due to a positive result for clomiphene, a drug occasionally uh, referred to as Clomid, as which is the brand name. So we had this weird cloud over the day where you just assumed the fight would be off, <laughs> and then <laughs> that wasn't the case. Um, we had these weird statements kind of acknowledging that the British board had said the fight was prohibited, but they were still expressing hope that they would appeal it and they would get the fight on as scheduled. And then I think just over 24 hours later, the show was officially cancelled, though Eddie Hearn only referred to it as postponed. A bit of background before we get into the intricacies of the clomiphene. So it came out in the 1960s, and the main reason it was authorised was to induce ovulation in females that were having issues. Um, this medication would increase hormone levels to induce that ovulation. Then later in the in the 1970s, it was evaluated for men to observe if certain male hormones necessary for uh, reproduction could be increased. And it was just seen as something that could increase testosterone and help with sperm production in patients that needed it. The important thing is, is it's a very controlled substance in terms of a physician needs to write you a prescription for this. It's not something you can ever get over the counter. It essentially tells your body to make more testosterone. It doesn't deliver it. It's not an artificial testosterone, something you inject. You would take it via a tablet. Um, so it's not giving you the final product. It basically just instructs the body to do more. And I believe that's it's used particularly when coming off a cycle of testosterone yeah. when your body isn't actually producing it afterwards because you've been artificially creating it. This helps you kick it back up again, presumably. So it's used by bodybuilders yeah. as part of their workout supplementation. Um, and as you've alluded to there, they can use it as part of their cycling routine. Um, they'll do the testosterone injectables for a few months, come off it, and then take Clomid to instruct their body to start making it normally again. It seems like it would have been mentioned already if Ben was taking this drug under medical supervision for fertility reasons. Because like, that was the whole reason I had that, is it's important to note that it isn't just for women. Yeah. Men do take I hadn't this. realized that. I hadn't realized um, that. So you would think if it was just that he'd taken this, and I don't know why they didn't think of this sooner. <laughs> Get that out there. Um, it's just such an obvious and sympathetic explanation mm. for why he could have wound up with this in his test sample. Well, you might still get that, so don't rule that out. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gareth A. Davis says he can't rule out that it was taken by mistake. 
And part of this, and you can read this, I think there's an article on bad left hook and bloody elbow with two different um, urology experts with them explaining all the details of this uh, product. And essentially, the long and the short of it is, this isn't something you would accidentally find yourself upon. This isn't something that you would even have kind of sprinkling itself with traces elsewhere because this it's just not that type of thing. It's something that is literally prescribed to you. Um, Eddie Hearn says that boxing fans should let the information come out before jumping to conclusions about the Ben Eubank postponement. While the Mail on Sunday and we'll talk about the public perception of Hearn because he's taken more of a hit than even Conor Ben, I think. Mm. They ran a story yesterday highlighting that 30% of all of his main event fights in the last year have involved at least one fighter who's failed a doping test or been involved in an anti-doping offense. That's brutal. Yeah, and they're really firing home with the fact that the stance he's taken previously Hearn said he would never want to put one of his fighters in a ring against a doped opponent after the American fighter Jarrell Miller tested positive for three different substances. And from what the male say and from everything they had right before, I think they're probably a more trustworthy source than Hearn in this instance. They point out that he started a legal bid to try and force the British board to sanction the fight against their will. He had spoken to various different commissions overseas in terms of them promoting the fight and something he denied and then Callis Ireland yeah. confirmed in the same morning. Mad. And all these clips of Hearn have come back up with him criticising the British board for sanctioning Billy Joe Saunders to fight Andrade in 2018. Um, Saunders had failed a drugs test in the lead up to that and the fight was going to go ahead before it was uh, eventually cancelled. He said, what's the point in signing up for drug testing if when you fail, everyone just goes, oh, don't worry about it, just let him fight. You can't ignore it, otherwise the sport's a mockery. And he said, after Jarrell Miller failed, this isn't tennis, this is a sport where the aim is to go in and knock out your opponents. If you aren't taking something that's going to increase your endurance, your strength, or give you an edge physically in a sport like this, I never want to put my fighter in a position like that. And he is obviously right, but the problem is <laughs> he talks so much that some people listen and others have saved it for future use. Yeah, I mean, every point he made there was absolutely right. So it just means now he's going back on all those points immediately. Yeah, there's, there's no unifying body in boxing. So it isn't like tennis or it isn't like athletics in which they can pretty quickly just say, we don't care about your excuse. You failed. Yeah. You're done. Ben failed a test in which they signed up for, which is what they're using as a defense, saying, by the way, we agreed to this testing. I I, I don't understand why this is some the, kind of... The logic is it's kind of... Yeah, but you've got to understand that I, f- I feel myself killing this person. It's like, well, yeah, that makes you stupid then, doesn't it? It doesn't mean you're not guilty. You're still guilty. Yeah, Hearn argued that since Ben was not suspended by the British board, the fight could go on. Now, they eventually postponed it, I think, the outcry online, not from people with tickets. Understandably, I kind of guess. I, I, I wonder, 
I'd still have had a moral stance, but I'd have been disappointed if we did get tickets and then we weren't able to see the fight and we'd lost all the money, which various others have for hotels and travel. Well, the main thing being he could have told you about the failed test weeks earlier when it actually failed. Yeah. I and mean, you probably could have cancelled your hotel, etc., rather than just before. Yeah, he said that the decision not to sanction the fight was procedurally flawed and without due process. Now, something that's been pointed out they haven't confirmed, they haven't pointed out if they've actually requested the B sample yet. Blimey. They haven't pointed out if it's only the one test that he failed. Hmm. And... Guess I was just taking a There's a lot... Yeah, there's a lot that you can give us all this spiel and then say, but I can't say any more than that. If it gets difficult, it's with the lawyers. It's with the lawyers, I can't um, tell you. And we've just seen lies from the start. Connor Ben said he spoke to Eubank Jr. who said, look, I believe you're innocent. I want this fight to happen. Eubank Jr. says that did not happen. Get on the same page. And he says, he says he did have concerns despite both fighters wanting it to go ahead. But yeah, his, eventually, his bottom line sorry. seems to be that while well, both fighters seemed happy to do it. It's like, well, one is the accused and the other one is the guy who will think it doesn't matter, I'll still walk through this guy anyway and I'm due to make millions of pounds. So neither of these are having an objective judgment where they should not be placed in a position where they get, the accused shouldn't have the power to do it and you might should be in a position where it's, well, it's on you then, mate. Do you fancy doing this? It shouldn't happen. Yeah, Hearn eventually calls the fight off and then wanted credit for calling the fight off. And I think, to be honest, I think there was a point where he realised, reputationally, he was the biggest loser in all of this. Yeah. You searched his name and you saw, I think you saw, he tweeted out one of his shows coming up and it was his ticket link. And the replies, you still have the same people in there that are always going to go out to bat for him. like, But he's not suspended, so... But the majority were just cooking him. Yeah. And I've never seen that for him before. It, it was always the kind of playful, oh, Eddie, I have a joke with Eddie, banter with the lads. That wasn't what we were getting here. Well, I'll be honest, what he's done is, apart from just disgusting and shameless, is the fact that he can see nothing wrong with it. He genuinely feels like he's hard done by. If you watch, I thought people were too caught up with that Coogan interview that they were like, well, Coogan didn't give him any difficult questions. Like, well, what did you expect? I couldn't watch that. Yeah. yeah. I watched it just to see see how he, how he was in terms of how did he, did he show any sort of contrition, whatever. I thought it was one of the most narcissistic videos I've ever seen in terms of he had a, a, a weird sort of victim complex in there that, oh, well, I've basically implied that, look, I've done my brains on this. I've spent hundreds of thousands of, on this event, which is not the point. And he, yeah, I thought the total lack of, he seemed bemused at how people thought, how bad this was. And he said, oh, well, it's always just blame Eddie, isn't it? Well, in this instance, it's 100% blame Eddie. And I think that it really feeds the conspiracy of how many times this happened before. I mean, how relaxed he is about the whole thing, I yeah. think really, really feeds into that. I think this has happened far more times than we care to think. It, it was a really horrible spectacle with the two of the largest promoters in the mm. world of boxing seeking to undermine in a court of law a failed drugs test, as you've just said, just so they just so they don't waste any money. Yeah, it it really became quite horrible. Like 
their statement was as childish as I've seen in terms of like threatening, basically saying, it was like, I'll be back, by the way. Don't think you've won this one yeah. because uh, we aren't going out without a fight. It was that they were the victims. Um, it was like, oh, this is like, everyone's out to get us. It's insane. So tone deaf. And yeah, it was. A, it would have been a good opportunity if you were going down the PR route. Kala should have looked at the response that Eubank was getting and said, this is the side I should be putting myself on. Mm. Because I actually think he came across slightly worse in my eyes because you're supposed to be on Eubank's side and you're not even fighting your man's corner. Yeah, you should be one of the and people he, advising Eubank, but don't do this. And both of them have had issues on their shows before with fighters dying or fighters getting gravely injured. Mm. And so I don't want to see any crocodile tears if it happens again because you've shown where your feelings are. Yeah, yeah you don't care at all. I mean, we, there's other questions like why did the board only announce that they were blocking the bout on Wednesday, two hours after the mail published when we've now know that they were made aware sooner. Yeah. This sort of thing of, well, the board kicked in and they told Eddie and Zach that he can't do it. They don't deserve any credit because they they weren't, they knew about this the whole time and only did it because of, and true to form for the British boxing board of control because they thought they had to re- maintain their reputation of which is terrible already, by the way, yeah. but they think, right, we got to look after ourselves. So you've just got this constant thing. They're only slightly less to blame because they at least rectified it, but they should have done it originally. They did it because they didn't want the bad PR. Eddie and Callum didn't even care about the bad PR. They were like, yeah, let's fucking go. And just to add to all of the controversy, and we don't even know if this was involved, um, there's footage that remains online of Dr. Sajad, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, one of Connor Ben's, who's listed Connor Ben as a client. There's a whole interview online with him talking about how 80 to 90% of elite boxers are taking drugs and then describing hypothetically how a fighter could take fast-acting testosterone after the testing window closes at 11 p.m. each day and be clear before it reopens in the morning. He said he would talk off camera to the interviewer when asked about how many fighters and which fighters are cheating. He said... uh, if you're an elite level boxer, pay-per-view, world-class, European level, 80 to 90% are doing it. You have to be an idiot to fail a drugs test in England because urine testing is just 72 hours. Uh, you would have to take drugs after two to three days before your fight, the urine test after a fight, whereas the one that trips up a lot of athletes is if you sign up to the random drug testing, which Conor Ben was called out previously for not being signed up to yep. that. He said, they'll track you where you are and turn up to your house whenever and do a blood test. With a blood test, they can catch things that have been there a month. However, you can get around the random drug testing between because between the hours of 11 and 7, they're not allowed to come to your house. A lot of athletes can take fast-acting testosterone or growth hormones, which can just be in your body for 7 to 8 hours. You can take it at 9 to 10 p.m. and it'll be out of your system by 7 a.m. There's ways to get around it and a lot of tricks. Now, he has Tyson Fury listed as a client who said he'll absolutely be back with him for his next fight. A known drugs cheat, by the way. And absolutely, um, he said, whatever's happened with Conor Ben, it won't be anything to do with this doctor. <laughs> yeah. And so a known drug cheat back in a doctor who's openly talking about how you can cheat on drugs for a fighter that's just failed a drug test. I don't see any problems here. I think it's all legit. I'd say Paddy Pimblett's getting off lightly because he's on that list as well. Is that right? Yep. Well, I thought you've really showed... 
how grotty it was what Eddie was doing, Dana wouldn't do this. The Dana would go if basically he if it I think potentially he could engage in a cover up, but if it came to light, he would be pulling that fight from the guy. You know, we're not doing this on our show. Dana Dana pulled John Jones out of the main event of UFC two hundred mm. the night before. Yeah. Yeah. And so And that event bombed after. And we see that as sort of the Wild West, right? Then what is boxing then in that case? They had the thing with John Jones where they found traces in his system and they did move an entire event. But slight I mean it's it was it was it was grubby then. What Dana did do is he found all these ways and all these doctors to explain why this could happen, why it was making no difference. And it at least, I'm not saying that was right, by the way, but that was at least managed better. We could have some understanding and you could do your own reading. This was essentially what they don't know won't hurt them. Yeah. And we know there was previous with um, Oscar Rivas and he didn't find out, as you pointed out to me, about the failed drugs test until after the fact, which is when it gets really dangerous. Which, by the way, who should be getting hung on that and that alone in public? The, I mean, literally. I mean, uh, in terms of his reputation, because <laughs> he, his whole thing with this has been, well, it's been transparent to everyone who matters. So the other fighter knew, their team knew, so and they were on board. If that's the case, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but if that is your argument, what was your argument for the White and Rivas one? Well, you didn't tell them. And you knew your, your guy was on something. And, well, fail the test, sorry. And you didn't disclose it to the other guy. Now, his thing at that time, I remember as well, was that, well, you can treat that as uh, confidential information. So they're telling you, the and it's you. Yeah, we're not reporting it, right? It's that's the which is a fucking bizarre thing. But if you think that, fine. It's then on you to tell them. So one of these things... Either you think you were right in the in the White Reva situation or the Ben Eubank situation. You can't be right in both. And I couldn't, well, who knows? Maybe someone will put, pin him on it. But there's so many, Hearn is kind of lucky. He's kind of got the Boris Johnson thing where he's done so many things wrong here. He might get away with it because you can't pin him to one thing. There's so many things that are out of order here. Yeah, we don't know when we're going to find this B-Sam, Paul. I have to imagine from what we've seen already, we're only going to see this B sample if it's clean. Like the Dylan White one, we've just never heard of again. And his thing in that interview saying that people have never apologised to Dylan White. I mean, <laughs> remarkable. Yeah, it's it's bad. And By the way, the whole thing is, you know, like when they say, oh, there's only a trace. Well, I don't think this cheat is going to be caught fully roided to the gills. There's only going to be a trace of it in there yeah. and even, by the way it's also a drug I mean if you go out and get pissed tonight you could be in a world of trouble but that alcohol is going to represent what like 0.01% of your like blood, yeah. your alcohol your, um, your, in your blood so and that's you out you know off your tits so the idea this drug is going to be what do you think it's going to be like half of his body it's crazy yeah and I'm sure this fight probably will happen. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, it'll probably it probably do. It will. More buys. I don't know. I, I was having a real moral issue because I was well, it wasn't a dilemma because I was well aware of this happening. And then I was also well aware that if the fight did happen, You'd watch. I would pay the pay-per-view yeah. and I would watch yeah. it. But we shouldn't 
I know we're all we're all grown ups, but we shouldn't be put in that position where we have to make that decision. Because for all the things of look, eighty to ninety percent are on it, and you hear people say this, I have to choose to be willfully ignorant in that situation. Because if I if I truly believed that ninety percent of these people were all on performance enhancing substances, it would ruin the sport for me completely yeah. in a way that boxing has been close to doing already with all sorts of shite through the years. Mm. And so with this, you go into it with at least the expectation that if someone isn't clean, okay, cool. they've hidden it well and none of us know. And none of us know. So they're the only wrong party in this. When it starts going a bit deeper and there's, there's a structural issue, that's when it gets really murky and really horrible to think about because if this can be buried and it's Chris Eubank and Connor Ben, what the hell happens when it's Connor Ben against Chris Van Heerden or even yeah. Cedric Paynord or whatever? Yeah. What happens then? Because these guys don't have... I've seen people accusing Van Heerden of clout chasing for saying, well, how do I know what happened against me? Him, he said... I've faced some of the biggest punches in the sport hmm. and I've never been cleaned out with one on the chin. Yeah. And that's the question with Conor Ben because a guy two fights in or three or however many fights in goes against Cedric Paynord and he doesn't have the power to get these guys out of there. And then he takes a short break and he comes back and he's not just knocking people out, he's icing guys. No one's done that to Chris Algieri. No one's done that to Chris Van Heerden. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, he's got his dad's power. Yeah. Oh, Why am I seeing things like <laughs> Nigel Ben assures fans that his son wouldn't cheat? Well, yeah. seeing as you said it, Nigel. Yeah, yeah. Fucking idiot. Joe Cordina came out and said it because he shares a gym with him. So, well, I won't, yeah. I won't take your word for yeah. it, Joe. You're under surveillance as well. Yeah, yeah you're, it's, it, you're right about the... I thought one of the things as well, because of the time period in which this happens, obviously the Wednesday, we've had uh, a Tuesday and Monday of interviews and stuff going on and it it looks so like stark now when you look at it where you go they were just carrying on like normal they were giving you interviews and we're obviously totally in the dark and yet they all know what's going on here it's insane it's it's kind of it's kind of like a not to be too dramatic but when you watch like a like a serial killer thing and they're like in a police interview and they're entirely normal you're like what the fuck the one that got me was there was one from where Eubank Sr. threatened to pull his son out of the fight and there's a, there's a headline and uh, it says something like uh, Connor Ben accuses Chris Eubank Jr. of being a baby yes, and says yes. he's grounded by his dad. And Eubank Sr. is a hard one to be able to work out whether anything he said had anything to do with this. And I really... Uh, won't get into the whole thing about him, but for those that have seen the headline, I really didn't like Spencer Fearon suddenly filming FaceTimes with him and going, by the way, he's in great spirits. No, agreed. Fair no. enough, he's in great spirits. But when you look back and think maybe these issues with Eubank Senior were because he was concerned for his son's welfare, and ultimately he is a big boy. He can't pull him out of the fight nope. if his son doesn't want to. If it was anything to do with that, and he was essentially making a plea to those within the sport because he never came out and said it. And I have to imagine there was probably something in there that meant he couldn't. I don't know. It would seem weird to not do that otherwise. It gets really, really dark. And I think it should be, 
you, some of our favorites will probably be caught out and they'll get bans. But this whole thing of it doesn't matter if it's an accident or not, four years, that's the way to do it because I'm, I'm yet to see a drugs cheat that immediately says, you got me. No. No, exactly. I have more respect after the fact for some like uh, Chel Sonnen or Brian Ortega. The TJ Dillashaw one, that's still a bit fresh for me. Yeah. But, but the ones that come out and say it, I tried to gain an advantage. I got it wrong. I apologize. I hope I can turn it around. Or if not, I'll serve my time and we'll see if I can fight again or whatever. It's respect is the wrong word, but I can, I can stomach that better than I can. Some of these guys protesting their innocence the whole time while continually pumping, <laughs> pumping themselves with God knows what. And this one, like I said, the nature of the drug means there can't really be an excuse. Like the, no. like a lot of excuses we hear often seem far-fetched, but it's possible that Canelo did get it from Mexican meat. If that Cumbria roll is in Mexican meat, it's possible. I, it seems a stretch for us, but we can get, okay, I can see how this happens. Yeah, he did get cleared of that, which was interesting. The nasal spray, you can see how potentially this happens. There's other, other ones with like, uh, like sterile creams and stuff, isn't there? He's like, I can see how this might happen. I think I know what actually happened, but I can see your excuse. The Conor Ben one is like, there's nothing here. Like you had, like you said, no, it has to be prescribed. Only, so I remember Yol Romero, who look, <laughs> if it's as easy as we're led to believe, maybe he did get away with it. But there was the one where he was going to be banned, and he won the largest payout because they actually tested some of um, the supplements he was taking, and he actually did have the tainted supplement, hmm. and it went all the way back to the factory. With this one, from what I read, if it was that Conor Ben was taking it for fertility purposes, he'd have more than a trace in his system. So they're saying that is not a viable excuse. Right, right. He he would have more than a trace, and if he was taking that dosage, it would be in your system for months. Okay. So, and they can never say a certainty, I guess, for legal reasons and scientists are never going to deal in in absolutes they point out it would be very difficult for you to just stumble upon this being in your system and i always thought with the nandrolone with tyson fury when i looked up what it was and i read it increases your lung capacity and it's great for fat burning it was like well if i had to pick a drug for tyson <laughs> yeah, fury to take yeah. this sounds pretty spot on yeah and if i'm looking for a guy who's coming up in weight who wants to be more powerful and go in there and clean a guy out. This is probably the kind of thing I'm going to want to have in my system. Yeah. Yeah. You work it back with Conor Ben, you go that rate of improvement, that physical change. It all, like you said, the, the Algerian. Why I wasn't scared to go up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it all looks a certain way. He's either the unluckiest man ever or we know what's happened. Yeah, and there's been some distance. I already seen her and saying he's got a difficult time ahead. Yeah, I saw him say this is a process he's going to have to deal with. Like, That's interesting. Yeah, and that opens some questions up as to is it Matchroom that requests all of this or is it Connor Ben that requests all of this and goes through that process? And it, it's not black and white enough. And from, from what you say, for, for everything you say, there was an NFL player for the Colts, I believe, in 2014 that tested positive for having this in his system. Right. 
and he had a son born shortly after and he said, I can look at my son every day and I can say it was worth it. Hmm. Connor Ben, we're not, we don't have anything like that. And this guy was up front and he never said, no, this is wrong. This is a mistake. He basically said, I wanted a baby. I wasn't able to have a baby. And yeah, it's a different story. I'm then, prepared isn't it? to take yeah, that that's chance. a different story. That's- and he was, he, he, he was still banned because the NFL deemed this, this drug was dangerous enough that you could not allow him to be competing with other professionals. That's as you're And they're running into each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not punching each other in the face. padding and protection on, exactly. And it's, it's very murky. There's a lot of boxing on this weekend. And I'm sure it happens in the UFC as well. But from what we see, Bobby Bobby Green um, had it is a good example recently. So they go through USADA. Bobby Green fails a test. USADA notify the UFC and they noti- they notify Bobby Green and they notify the um, governing bodies. Now, within that, they say there's a confidentiality agreement and it's basically on you if you want to admit it. But if you come out and you basically prejudice your argument or whatever, or you do anything that could make it seem like it's easier to do this or whatever, I think it goes on a case-by-case basis then your sentence could be changed. But it's as soon as that first test comes in, you cannot fight. And everyone is aware that you cannot fight mm. and we'll make it public. It's on you. This seems the case of, we're going to notify all the people that it would be in the best interest of to basically not tell anyone else. <laughs> yeah. And everyone that needs to know isn't told. And that's the thing with boxing is, we saw with the Jarrell Miller thing, you could be banned by the WBC and the WBA might go, well, we we need some new exciting heavyweights <laughs> in our rankings, so yeah, we're prepared to take you. And it's very rarely a satisfying ending in boxing. And satisfying is the wrong word in terms of if Conor Ben gets a four year ban, but you at least want to feel as a fan like the right thing has happened. And I guess because like, if you tell me Conor Ben's B samples clean, I do not believe you. But that's it as well, isn't it? Yeah, you don't believe anything they say at this point. So I, I don't really know a way in which they can pivot out of it. No, but I guess this story will develop. Maybe it'll go quiet and then, and then we'll hear in a few months' time that suddenly he's innocent or whatever. He is unfortunate. Um, this is His profile is high enough now, and this was such a high-profile fight that it might cost him, that they might make an example yeah. of him where there's been other ones before where it's been quite hush-hush. If you speak to most people, they don't know Tyson Fury's failed one for, no. for performance-enhancing drugs. Well, that's for cocaine, for co- it? Yeah. And even, by the way, then when you tell them, no, no, it's performance-enhancing drugs, yeah. ultimately, I didn't see this information. I didn't see it, so it didn't happen. You're telling me, but I didn't see it happen, so it's not the same thing. Everybody yeah. knows about this Conor Ben news, and I think that might exactly. end up being uh, held against him. Yeah. Well, there we go. Thank you again for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. Movie Madness this Thursday. Reservoir Dogs versus the Bronx Tale. Nice. Tune in then. Adios.